I'm going to tell you what the land of freedom's all about. No, you're not dreaming, because that land exists. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been living like pigs. Open your eyes. Open. Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brack Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the double-double of two wheels, Mr. Shaheen Alvande. I'm I'm a turncoat now. You are. I'm I Traitor. feel I'm, I feel traitorous to my Californian semi-upbringing. Ugh. Yeah, so we found a burger that we like. I found a burger that I like. More than the double double. You are like the Christopher Columbus of this burger. I I, I feel like I my I sailed my boat forth and screwed over this, the natives. Yeah, just kind of ran over a couple of natives and and probably didn't stop at a stop sign long enough for somebody to cross the road here in Portland, which is a big no no. Yeah, shame on you if you don't. I, do that. Listen, oh I'll take the shame because afterwards there was this tiny blue food cart that has won my heart over. What's the name of it? It's called Hit the Spot. And, and man, did it hit the fucking spot. True to the name. I just Dude. had my first my first edition of this burger. And, and it didn't suck. It didn't suck. Which is a joke you should never make to the cook. <laughs> the guy discovered. literally looked at Jensen and said, so what do you think? That didn't suck. <laughs> like, like, I thought it was like horrible. the Mona Lisa just got finished painting in front of you. <laughs> and the artist is like... What do you think? I mean, I've seen better smiles. I've seen prettier girls. <laughs> I mean, she's like a Portland Seven. She's all right. Uh, yeah, no that that <clears throat> for those of you that don't know, I have a little bit of a dry sense of humor. <laughs> Just a little. I don't. I forget the chef's name at the at the. Je- Je- Jeremy. 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 Jeremy did not know that did not go over. That was not funny to him. It was a very good burger, Jeremy. It was a very good burger. It was a it was a, it was a mighty fine I burger. Left, I left very satisfied. And they serve Mountain Dew, so extra points there. Sold. And you didn't just get a double. I got a triple. You got a triple <laughs> bacon cheeseburger. I had such a big lunch, too. Yeah, you had like a huge burrito oh, earlier, like it. two hours earlier. I got to go to the gym after I'm, this. Uh, listen, your ability to put away the groceries is one of my... I'm just in awe of you. I have a big torso. That's what it is. I have a big torso, and when I eat like you do, I hurt for a week. I just got a big torso. I think I have a very unusual... Like I think I have an abnormally high lung capacity and have a very good vo2 max for as out of shape as i am huh. I, I i do a 50 on the vo2 max no problem which is not bad no that's, that's pretty not good bad. that's not messing around that's uh i mean i mean you're not nasa ready but you can get there no i mean i think i should have been an astronaut we've talked about this before <laughs> we have talked about you being but, an astronaut uh, you know failed failed callings aside so we're 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 moving in, we're moving a little slow right now though. Oh my god! Look, we were joking. We've got like thirty minutes of content. It's gonna take about four hours. To yeah, get we're just us. we got some stuff to talk about. We gotta right, get caught up talk about on stuff. my trip abroad. We gotta get caught up on your BDR ride. We've got some some floozy newsy stuff to talk about. I want to get through it really quick though. I was showing you before the show. I got I got some new threads, dude. Let's talk about your new. I like the color combo. I'm not going to be able to tell you apart from your bike to you. Got to be matching, it's man. It's a lot of red, white, and black. There's, you know what? You could write dark books gray. about red, white, Super and black. Super dark gray. Yeah. Super dark gray. So you're right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I forgot. Super dark gray. <laughs> Super light gray. 
The lightest of the grays. The lightest gray I've ever seen. It's I, I would dare call it Caucasian. Can we say red? I don't even know if we can say it. red. Colors I don't think exist anymore. So, <laughs> dark gray, light gray, and I think I believe it's just indigenous. You're the closest thing I have to a minority friend. Here I am Portland, a minority so. friend. I'm like half Russian, half Iranian. I need Iranian. you to give me like the thumbs up on whatnot. This is kosher. In Soviet Russia, the suit will wear you. <laughs> In Kazakhstan, <laughs> rocket fires. <laughs> uh, the suit's very handsome, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you wear it well. I'm I'm a little bit jealous, not jealous. I'm a little upset that you didn't wear it during the showing. You you left me with the suit in a rush, <laughs> and you closed the door behind you like you're gonna change. Yeah, and then you came out looking like regular old street Jensen. No, I not switched and baited you on that one. That's no, all right. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's very hot. Actually, the leather. So I got a new leather suit from. Is Nine that the new in. perforated airbag suit? That's perforated airbag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe I tricked you with that one. You sir. did. God damn it, man! Listen, for those of you that read Asphalt and Rubber while you're working, either read the whole thing or don't read the whole thing. Because I saw, I was like, "Ooh, new Revit airbag suit," and I was like, "Jensen, did you read the thing about the new Revit airbag suit?" And he said, "Hey, you idiot! I put that up." You mean the perforated one? Ugh, rude. <laughs> to be fair, there <laughs> was some. Fair. There, I heard that some Revit employees fell prey to that as well <laughs> emailed their boss you know the head of revit usa and he's like oh yeah no that's coming out soon yeah oh it's really groundbreaking technology dang just played along just you know just reeled them yeah, in on that six fishing degrees hook. of a and r so so you are not alone in being bamboozled <sighs> i i just i'm it's hard to bamboozle me so when i get bamboozled hats off i love april fools we had so I, there was a coordinated april fools that we had talked about in Italy. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. It took a village? Because it still may happen next year. Whoa. But there was a dinner discussion. Uh, a fact that may or may not be true was postulated at the dinner table by a colleague of mine. And there was a discussion of doing multiple April Fool stories from different publications about this one story. Uh, about a certain individual who's very prominent in the motorcycle industry. Oh boy. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you offline. Oh, but I'm super curious. Now. The, but that would have been for me, that would have been the mic drop. I think I would have to quit NR afterwards. <laughs> like that's it. Like I had a really good one about five years ago about Eric Buell. And I did this whole thing. I literally created a fake company, a fake website, social wow. media accounts. It was like a whole, it was like a whole thing. You went into it. Really invested in this. Apparently the phones were ringing like all day long at, <laughs> at, at EBR and Eric Buell did not enjoy that not, not a fan and he's like ah jensen beeler asphalt and rubber he's such a jerk face i don't think he said jerk face he said something best marketing tactic ever people were calling your phone all day wanting to buy a product from you you're welcome i'm sorry um yeah so i got i got a, a new custom suit from dinese with a little colors and a little asphalt i didn't get any brap talk logos on it he didn't to be fair we've been working on fair. that for like mm, six months or so yeah, and Brap Talk's only been around for two and a half, three months. Yeah, so it was a little before our time. But All right, I think we can get something on there. I think I think the suit that I'm going to hope to get will have Brap Talk on it. That's not, or I'm just saying we do a follow up suit and you get a Brap Talk suit. Oh hell yeah, in gold, black. Got to be gold. Hell yeah, gold on black. Oh wait, gold on black or black on gold? It would be black with gold highlights or gold with black highlights? You, you tell me. I will. I will wear it either way. I think it can be done. I think that would look really. I think this is a conversation worth having, and I think our listeners would agree that it would be extra perfectly gaudy. Yeah, it would look really bad, which is why it just needs to giant, you know, letters across the back. Shaw of the Brap. shop, just the shop, or just the shop, the shop. I don't, like. Don't it. limit yourself. The shop. Yeah, just the shop of what you'll see. You'll see. Don't worry about it. Oh, it look really good. 
I can speak in a full-on Persian accent for a whole episode of that one. Are you Persian? <laughs> Are you Persian? <laughs> I am the Shah of Berap. <laughs> Ooh, nuts. So, Jensen, tell us more about what is on the news. I'm going full-on Persian. This, this microphone's on the news. Um, I like that your microphone's slowly dropping. I just want it like to be on your yeah, junk by the time the show's is. over. It's going to be like a dick in the box. Um, which is a reference my mother does not understand. So that's good. Because I so so I post up on my Facebook like the giant box that my yeah that my leathers came in, and I'm like, let's play a game called What's in the Box, right? And there's you can pretty much divide fifty fifty the comments into the movie Seven. Yep. What's or, in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? Sorry, Brad Pitt. It's your wife said. Um, or Saturday Night Live, my dick in a box. <laughs> And I'm super stoked my mom does not understand either of those references. She's does she like, not listen to this? She doesn't listen to the show. I might have her listen to episode number 12. No, no, no. I don't think she knows that like podcasts is like a whole nother thing. Is it like AM radio? Do I turn on the radio? She came out to a live show for the Two Enthusiasts podcast. And I don't think she really understood that it was a real thing <laughs> until like more than four people showed up. <laughs> There were five people there, and it was a very. No, no, we had like we had like I don't know thirty, oh, forty was, yeah, people. Was, we had there. a good crowd. That was, that was we had there. a really good crowd. For like, I, I believe like, I asked the question Thursday night. No, this oh. was in San Francisco. Oh, fine. That you one. know the, the Motor Corsa we had an excellent crowd. Yeah, it was everybody. Motor Corsa like was full there. Yeah, it was packed. It was the busiest day for Motor Corsa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but we we brought we brought some people. But like she's sitting there, and she's like, "Oh my god, sweetie, they all listen to they all listen to the show." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, yeah, mom, well, and I mean, a couple others." I think so. I mean, otherwise, they're lost. I mean, we just found out somebody in the Netherlands listens to us. Oh, my goodness. Tell us, you guys, you got to bring up this reference for us. Okay. So, if, for those of you who aren't listening to every one of our shows, shame on you. Uh, I had asked that you put up a video of yourself on Instagram saying where you're listening to our show so that I can send you a leather safety third pa- patch. And one of our listeners was riding his street bike at like, it looked like. Road bike, the road, bicycle. Like a bicycle, like a pedal bike, but like a like a very expensive looking thing. And he was like going 20, 25 miles an hour. He was hauling some butt. And he's just like videoing himself like, here I am in the countryside in Netherlands listening to Brap Talk. I'm like, put the fucking phone down, dude. Pay I attention. legitimately thought I was going to watch someone <laughs> die while talking to us on their phone while they're riding a so bicycle. Kudos to that guy. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to send him a patch. Absolutely. He's getting a patch. Are. Absolutely. That was, that was my favorite one so far. And Stop recording yourself while you're on a bicycle. Please. That's not a good idea. This is what GoPros are for. You're supposed to mount it on your handlebar, you maniac. Safety third. But that was that was uh, impressive. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, that was a good one. A cyclist. While he's working out. Just to finish up the Dainese conversation. I was, this, isn't, this isn't where I was going, but just to wrap it up. It sounds like Dainese is for sale again. Oh. The Bahrainians look like they want to divest and get a tidy little sum. So that'll be interesting to watch. Interesting. Keep your eyes out on that space. This is a story that I broke. What was it? Like two years ago. And it's been kind of like going on and off. They've kind of been up for sale, not for sale, on for sale, not for sale. Now it sounds like they've actually hired a private equity kind of consultancy firm to help them sell it. So it seems like by the end of the year, we could see them change hands. And I don't know who's in the market for, for a company like Dainese, but it'll be interesting to see who. So, I mean, the obvious question a lot of people will ask is, is, is this a good thing? I don't think it's either good or bad. I don't think that's one of those like labels you can put on it. Um, the thing that's hard, and I was talking to a colleague today about it, is you know, it depends on who buys them. So in this, it's it's called Invest Corp is the 
It's a Bahrainian company, their investment company, the private equity. They bought Dainese, shoot, how many years ago? Two, three years ago? Hmm. No, longer than that. Maybe like five years ago. Uh, they bought an 80% stake of the company. And that helped Lino Dainese get out of the company, basically. Um, he was the founding the founding person. That's where the, he's the namesake of the company, obviously. Right. So when you get bought up by a company like that, I mean, their whole deal is buy you at value X, sell you at value X times, you know, 1.2, 4, whatever. They're looking to make a multiple. They're looking yeah. to make a return. It's an investment. A return on their investment. They're treating it like an investment. And they run the company like it's an investment. So you could say like back then when the Bahrainians bought it, well, that might be a bad thing because now they're going to be very like profit focused depending on what their investment time frame is. Because if they're saying like, hey, this is a 50 year investment for us. We think that this is a strategic industry that's going to be huge in 10, 20, 30 years or whatever it is. We're getting in the ground floor now. Um, that's one thing. But I don't think you can really say that about motorcycle apparel per se. But uh, you can, we could have a whole debate about that, but let's, let's sidestep it. Is that all Dionysia does is only motorcycle No, apparel? they don't. They do uh, equestrian gear. They do bicycle gear. They do ski gear. Um, but their bread and butter is motorcycles. Okay. But they're doing a lot with airbag technology. And that's kind of what Lino Dionysia wanted to do to get out of it. He wanted to start looking at what airbag technology could do in the healthcare industry mm-hmm. and industries like you know, outside of just motorcycle. In fact, they, they work pretty closely with the Italian skiing federation for, for safety apparel. And part of that is airbag equipment. Very interesting. Um, so, uh, so the bar, the Bahrainians buy it and you can say like, well, you know, they're going to have like a, a time frame of like five, 10 years and they're going to be very profit focused. And so that might mean, you know, long, good long-term decisions aren't being made in favor of good short-term decisions. It's like, like one thing would be like less advertising, less marketing, less events, less, you know, research and development, you know, get rid of those things off the top of the balance sheet. So the bottom looks, you know, profit, 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 profit. Right. right. So then some companies are like, oh, profits are up 80%. What a good deal. Da, 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 da. What a healthy company. I'm going to buy. But it's like not really a sustainable thing over long term. Like you need to constantly be advertising. You need to be constantly developing new products. You need to be constantly, you know, researching new technologies and segments and things like that. So I think you could have said back then that maybe it's not the best of things, but like now it kind of comes back to like, well, who's going to buy them? Is it going to be another private equity firm? Is it going to go public? I think they're truthfully, I think they were trying to go public a couple of years ago or a year ago, and that's probably been set aside. So I think they're looking for some sort of private investor. Um, is it going to be someone in the motorcycle industry, a strategic partner, a wealthy who to do? The number I'm hearing is about half a billion dollars. Half a billion? To buy it. Wow, that's um, a lot more than I thought it would that's be. A, that's a fair chunk of change. Um, yeah, that sounds a little on the high side. I think 400... You think it's because they have some kind of a proprietary hold on the no, airbag? No, that's just based on sales and revenue. Hmm. Um, and that's, again, like that's that's part of how that works. Like the, you know, one of the off-the-cuff kind of ways of measuring a company's worth is just doing like a multiple of their sales or, or, or their revenue, I should say, or, or multiple of their... Uh, income income yeah and that's a good way to, that's a good starting point it's not the be all end all but it's a good starting point i would say closer to 400 million sounds more right but we'll see it'll be yeah. it'd be very interesting to watch like i like i say like nothing's neither bad neither, 
Nothing is neither good or bad until thinking makes it so. Now, is this an actual thing or is it another one of those speculations where people are starting to kind of hear voices behind a closed door and thinking that's what's going to happen? Because remember, Ducati had a similar thing where everybody thought it was up for sale not even a year ago, I don't think. Well, I mean, like Ducati's case, that was very real. There was definitely a faction inside Volkswagen that wanted to sell Ducati. And right. there was a faction that didn't. And the people that wanted to sell it didn't have the votes because they didn't have the backing of the labor unions. Labor unions have a pretty big seat at the uh, Volkswagen table because they own a lot of the stock. Um, and this is the same thing. We're like, this is definitely this is definitely real. Um, and all the intentions, like if you're hiring a, a consultancy firm to help sell it, like it's very real. Now, will it go anywhere? Will they find a buyer? Will this, you know, just kind of end up being an exercise that we do over the next nine months and, you know, the Bahrainians hold on to it for another year or two? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Uh, world economy is kind of slowing down. Motorcycle industry is kind of in a stagnant place. That could that could really be a factor. But then you could also look at like what's happening in the motorcycle apparel space and safety apparel space in general, and be like airbag technology. That's a big thing. We could apply that to a lot more things. Yeah, this is very still very early days. Like I just got my first airbag suit. No, I shouldn't say that. I have an Alpine Star suit. Yeah, you have another one. Uh, so I got my it's my first Dainese uh, airbag suit. But like you know. I've got between jackets and leathers, let's say like a dozen. And now only like a third of them have airbags. So like, you know, we're early days. Yeah. That's- and I really do. I like, I believe in this technology. I think in 10 years, like if you're buying like a regular leather jacket without an airbag, that's obsolete. Yeah. You're buying some cheap thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see where this, where this goes, but I'm not going to put like a label if it's good or bad. I'm not ready yet. To be seen. TB TBD. TBD. My brain's Dainese. a little my brain's a little scattered because I got all the beef in me. So much beef. By the way, uh, I was gonna mention to you that the uh the alley sweeper is coming up and we have a Goldwing and there's two of us. And I know somebody at Honda's gonna hear this and go, Don't you fucking dare. But it's just an idea. I'm throwing it out there. Well, Honda doesn't know this, but I already put double dark side off road, you know, dual you know, mud terrain yeah. tires on oh, the Oh, is it those line. new, those new, uh, the BFG good riches? Yeah. Oh, yeah, girl. So it can go through anything. That'll be amazing. And I'm pretty can sure. Can be turned off on that thing? No. How do we get sideways then in the, in the mud? I'm, we can probably pull a fuse. I bet we could. It'd be fine. It'd be all right. Um, they're gonna have a real hard time getting that trailer. Yeah, honestly, off. with me sitting on the back of that seat, you're gonna have all the traction. You're never gonna break loose. <laughs> 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 we can go up like, the steepest hill at triangulation point, if you want. I mean, I think if we put chains on it, <laughs> that, that'll be fine. I'm waiting for the Goldwing with the tracks system on it. I know. A little winter Goldwing. Game changer. We'll call it Snowwing. Does what? that work on shaft drive? We'll figure it out. Yeah. That would be superb. That would be amazing. <laughs> Remember how Motocorsa did that Panigale with the knobbies on there? Yeah. Pish posh, old news. Goldwing with a track system on. Honda tracks. <laughs> that would uh, be the most comfortable snowmobile on the planet. Oh my gosh. I would never get a press bike from them ever again. <laughs> or wouldn't I'm you? Always, I'm already a little worried about the Goldwing being <laughs> right. the last one. Yeah. All right. We're mostly kidding about doing the alley sweeper. Mostly. Maybe. I'm not kidding about putting mud trains on it though. Double dark side. That would be amazing. You know that is a double dark side? That's when you put, so the dark side is when you put a car tire on the rear wheel. No. That is that is a thing. Yeah, I know. Like, oh, I'm going to get so many miles I on it. I'm like, you're a moron, but okay. 
Double dark side is when they put a car tire on the front as well. That makes sense if you're running a real big rig on the side, though. Have you seen some of those crazy uh, um, sidecar side setups? That would make more sense. That would make more sense. There was a company that I kept seeing them in Florida during bike week, like on big BMWs and big Hondas, and they would have car tires. But when you looked at this sidecar, it was as big as a car. It was huge. So it made sense to have three real big, wide car tires on yeah. it. That's that's not what these people are doing. No, They're no, just, these people are just trying to be cheap. There, so there was a guy back in the day. I don't know if he's still around. Who was a Goldwing rider in North Carolina, and he would ride the tail of the dragon. And his name—I don't know what his name was, but his his moniker was uh, Yellow Wolf. And he was like one of the first people that would strap a camera to his bike and chase you up and down um, the tail the dragon, of the dragon yeah. and video you doing these cool things. But he was on a Goldwing. And you could be on a Jixer 1000, and this guy would stay on your tail. He was amazing. And then to add a little little something, some little piece de resistance to his uh, style, his rear tire was a car tire. I don't know how he did it. I'm sorry. If that guy can keep up with you on the Dragon, yeah. you are not a good motorcyclist. Dude, he would follow anybody. I mean, you would watch some of these videos like, how is you understand? He- I've been to the tail of Dragon. I've seen the the sea monsters that ride up and down oh, that yeah. thing. like. I would not say that is an area that is rich in motorcycling talent. Uh, it's not. No, because most of those people are just tourists, but the locals are fucking badasses. I have no doubt that there's people there that haul the beans. I'm just saying that when I was there, I saw a lot of people that should not even be on motorcycles. Those were Florida plates and there were trikes. <laughs> don't count. Oh, man. I saw so many near accidents when we were out. We did the. It's always a Florida plate. Anytime somebody goes off one of those hills, you look yeah. at it like, oh, that, that's look at the oranges on that plate. That's a, that's Florida plate. We did the Yamaha MT10 launch there, which isn't like a great place for that bike to, to be launched, but it was a cool to ride that road. And that's a, a great motorcycle to ride. Yeah. It's quite like the MT10. Uh, if you don't. Know if you're in the market for a street fighter, that's pretty cheap. It got good features. But like, that's, could that's rip a, your arms off. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, it's like a kind of a detuned R1, basically. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, looks are a little polarizing. I mean, you know, if you watch any of the uh, robot movies, it's, it's probably in there. Yeah. It looks it, like a robot. It looks like Johnny Five. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that the motorcycle. The most racist and, and robot me, movie on the planet. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I've seen that movie since I hit like puberty. I'm. <laughs> A lot of my movies from the 90s have not held well with time. Can I hear your Johnny Five is Alive accent? Um, wow. Johnny Five is Alive. I, I don't even know. Like That's literally been so long. <laughs> it's literally been so long. Um, yeah, it's not. Where were we? I don't even know. <laughs> so we, we just veered off into Burgerland and then somehow ended up in uh, double, double Dark Side. Haunted Debut's Electric Dirt Bike Prototype. Do you yeah, see this thing? I did see that thing. And I, for a split second, I checked my calendar to make sure that wasn't a fucking April Fool's thing. Because right? we've all been talking about it. It's a matter of time between before the big four start getting into it. Did you see the AR Pro story? Did I that? did because I am a member. That a kid. Um, and that's going to be for real. So I got really lucky. I have a Japanese colleague who was at the Tokyo Motorcycle Show. Like, so back it up a little bit. Honda came out with an electric dirt bike prototype and you have to understand when honda says prototype that usually signals that it's two three years away uh-huh. or sooner from they're, production. they're getting there the rc 213v was a prototype yeah the africa twin was a prototype uh-huh. the honda x V scooter was a prototype so that's that's not honda being like this is something we're thinking about that's like mm, we're coming out with this pretty soon <laughs> and you look at this bike and it looks the deal the downside was 
there really wasn't any photos or any information that came out with this electric dirt bike. So I got really lucky that I have a Japanese colleague who was at the Tokyo motorcycle show and was able to get amazing detail photos of this bike. I'm pretty sure engineers at like major OEMs signed up for and our pro accounts just so they could see these photos because he <laughs> got some really good shots. You can see in pretty good detail what they're doing with the motor, the battery pack, the inverter, They've kind of really, they've got a really interesting cooling system that looks like it goes, you know, it looks like they're cooling the motor and the battery through the same cooling mechanism, which is very, very clever. Um, they're wedging it all into an aluminum twin spar frame, That's just like straight tube. off like the CRF uh, chassis. Right. Um, yeah. And then Mugen, Mugen's doing the drivetrain. It's co-branded. And then... The same day, Mugen came out with the next version of their E Rex. Uh huh. You remember that thing that uh-huh, looked like a dinosaur? Sure well, now Hell it yeah. looks now it looks way more. Oh, look that at that! That looks thing. pretty cool, right? That thing looks badass. I would buy that. That looks rad. I don't Does know. Anybody want to buy my Alta? <laughs> Dude, right? <laughs> I mean, like you look at this and you're like, oh shit! Fudge, you fudge. <laughs> you guys just got serious. So, for me, the big takeaway was Honda's coming out with an electric dirt bike ASAP. And they're going and they are not farting around with it. Um, so did quite a bit of analysis on that. If uh, if you needed a reason to get an Anar Pro account, I would say that's a pretty good story to start with. Were my thoughts? Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of good stories on Anar Pro, and you should always oh, uh, be a fan. I thank you for that plug. Why do I always have to do math every time I want to sign into my Anar Pro though? Um, Six by five equals. Damn it! I had a burger in my belly. Eleven? Because we got to make sure that you're a human. <laughs> Um, we got all these, got all these little spammers trying to crack, crack their way through. Crack. Um, I'm kind of curious on this one, Shane. You know, I remember writing this story and being like, I need to make sure I talk to Shaheen about this. Ooh, I like it. I like because I'm, I'm very curious about your opinion, and I feel like that we could have an interesting conversation here. Okay. The Dakar rally. Ooh, that's the burger talking. The the the, the Dakar bacon the, cheeseburger rally. <laughs> the Dakar bacon rally. <laughs> the Dakar rally is headed to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. What do you think about that? That. I don't know. As a man of the Middle East, of your descent. I mean, have you been to Saudi Arabia? I feel like you've been there. No, I haven't. But so I've been to Qatar. Yep. And and I quite enjoy going to Qatar. If you can like look aside from some of the more egregious human rights issues that are going on there. Well, so that's hard to put that aside right now. Right now, it's really hard. Uh, when I went, it was like seven years ago. So it wasn't as much into the news, but you have to understand like they were building, they're building like soccer stadiums, yeah. they're building so many things and all that's foreign labor. And the way it works is, Hey, come to our country, help us build this thing. We'll give you a really good wage. Oh, now that you're here, I need to take your passport from yep. you. Uh-huh. And now you're stuck. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a thing. Now you stay here. Now forever. you stay here. And, and that's a little bit of an issue. Uh, yeah. That, I have a, I have a weird little problem with it. And I don't like being political getting political on this podcast, but um, Saudi Arabia is an interesting country in that you can tell they're trying to catch up because, you know, in the, in the world's eyes, they're just another Middle Eastern country that is typically thought of as like a third world country, right? And we should remind our readers, you're of Iranian I'm descent. Iranian, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that would probably go for a lot of the countries that are in that part of the world. But Saudi Arabia has a fuck ton of money. And so they're trying to use that money to to change, let's just say change the way the country looks physically. But their politics are garbage. The way they treat people is garbage. 
and it's been going on for a long time unchecked. And so there's a part of me that says, ah, I don't want anything to go to them. But there's another part of me that says, well, if they keep doing these things and more eyes of the world get turned on them, then they're going to have no choice but to change their policies. Uh, maybe, I don't know if that's naive of me to think that way. So I don't know. I don't know how I think of that. I, I want progress for every every country and every human being, but not at the cost of another human being's life or comfort or way of, you know, anything. I would agree with that sentiment. So uh, my colleague, David Emmett, he does our, our motor GP content, uh, also runs the, the website motor matters. If you don't read it, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a big thing about going to Qatar for, for the motor GP race, uh, because of the human rights issues. And I think secretly cause he hates flying, but mostly for the human <laughs> rights issues. And, and he and I had that conversation and my perspective is, I'm a big, in fact, I referenced it in a story today. I'm a big Thomas Friedman fan. The world is flat. Yep. And globalization, economy, economies become intertwined. And you can look at like what we've done with North Korea in terms of um, kind of ostracizing them from the rest of the world, the rest of the world's economy. And what is that? What has that done? Has that made North Korea change its ways? Nope. Or has that made them more entrenched in the ways that they have? Yep. Same thing for Cuba. So when we ostracize people for, for their beliefs or their religion or for their politics or for their geography or whatever that is, you're not going to change them. You're only going to make them more entrenched into the, whatever that thing is. Yeah. And, and the, actually the way that you make progress is, is through inclusion. And, and I think that's part of the reason why like, I, I quite actually like going to Qatar. And one of the reasons I was, I was saying to David, like you should go, it's, they're not going to change until they start seeing the other way, until we start moderating. Moderating? I don't, I don't actually mean that. I mean like making them more moderate. Right. Well, the only way someone's going to become beliefs. moderate is if there's a lot of eyes on them. Right? More eyes, more interaction. Right. I mean, like there's the joke that no country from McDonald's has ever attacked another country from McDonald's. And it has nothing to do with <laughs> McDonald's franchises bringing world peace, but it has something to do with when you have economies and governments that are intertwine with each other they're they're more likely to get along right and their their fates become more interlinked and so they start becoming more ideologically in sync so i hear what you're saying with saudi arabia and i think that's that's true and i think it's the same thing with with qatar which is way more moderate like that was one thing i was gonna say like i like qatar because i felt safe there yeah and there's there's it's a beautiful country and there's things to do and and it's it's weirdly western that's the thing that really struck me. If like you close your eyes, spun around three times and told me I was back in America, there's a Chili's in front of me. People are driving big SUVs on, you know, perfectly modern wide boulevard roads that look like it could be straight out of the United States. And if you didn't see someone go by in traditional dress, or if you didn't see signs written occasionally in Arabic, you wouldn't know that you were no, there. No, you wouldn't. It's, I mean, you got to remember there's a lot of Western uh, companies that have, offices in these big yeah. cities like Qatar and, and a lot Dubai. Of expats. So when you go over there, there I mean English and French and Russian, there's a lot of Russian money over there. Uh it's 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 easy to see its influence there. So I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean when when you have all these people there, uh it, it would hopefully you know make these make these countries or or let's just talk about you know Saudi Arabia. It would it would make them potentially change the way they operate because 
Nobody wants to go somewhere where they feel afraid. Nobody wants to go somewhere where they think they're going to get detained because they said something like what we're just talking about right now. 100%. And that was my, that was one of the things I was going to bring up. I looked into it once. I wanted to do a story where I did a track day at LaSalle mm-hmm. outside Doha in Qatar and then rode to the UAE, United Arab United Arab Emirates. Emirates yep. And go do a track day at Yas Marina. That'd be so cool. You know, two tracks, super cool tracks on my bucket list. Super rad. For those that don't know their geography, there's like uh, 80 miles or so, 70 miles. Desert. That's Saudi Arabia. Yep. And I was like, oh. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I can do that. Like, I don't, I don't think me as a journalist from the United States who used to work for the UN yep. prosecuting war criminals yep. can go do that. Mm. I, I haven't, I haven't got like a safety briefing. No one said like, Hey, these, this is the consequences of your work and who you are, but I'm pretty sure that I would definitely at least need to have a fixer. I would probably need to have at least some sort of like government sanction from the Saudi Arabian government. Yep. And I was just like, you know what? This is, and this is also kind of around the time when people, people were losing their heads a lot. <laughs> And I was just like, I don't want to be on some YouTube video getting beheaded. Like, I mean, no, no, like not to be racist. And like, I was literally like, I think that was a outcome whose possibility was not zero. And no, it even, wasn't. And I mean, that was a thing, right? And, and you, you have to think about that. Whether you like it or not, whether it makes you sound racist or not, usually people's fears are based on some kind of thing, right? Now, it's either a fact-based fear or if it's just your mom, pa telling you that, you know, so-and-so is evil because they're something color whatever but you still have a fear and and somebody has to somebody or some situation has to help alleviate that fear from you so in the case of saudi arabia uh you know finding out that a journalist got chopped up and hacked up uh in the consulate is is probably not a very comforting thought to you as a journalist or anybody else as a journalist saying oh yeah i'm totally going to go and visit this country and and speak freely the way i do on my whether it's a motorcycle uh, magazine or not, doesn't matter, I don't think. Yeah, I think you summarized it pretty well because I've always wanted to, I've always had this hope of going and covering the Dakar in person and yeah. riding along and doing the, the whole thing. And yeah. I think it's really hard to do while I'm doing asphalt and rubber, at least as like, as like the chief of asphalt and rubber. I think it would take me too far away from my daily, stu- my daily duties. Burgers, burgers getting me Shane. Don't fight the burger, Jensen. Just gotta relax. It's trying to come back out. You gotta, you gotta push it back down. It's a very serious moment that got interrupted by a very unserious thing. Um, but I thought about that where I was like, I, I have no problems. I always wanted to go down to South America, Argentina, Peru, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, and go do that. And now that it's moving, I'm I'm like, have they explained why Saudi Arabia? Money, money. I mean, they were looking at South but Africa. The Dakar, the Paris like, Dakar have that much pull? Is it that interesting? Does it have that many followers that uh, will bring that kind it, of money there? I think, I mean, they basically outstayed their welcome in South America. <laughs> um, it was just, yeah, there was just no one that wanted to host it. And that's why they got stuck, I believe, in was it Peru last year. They did like just one country. Yeah, they only did Peru. That was the first this time year, it was a year. single country. So they needed to go somewhere else. They were talking and there was talk of going back to Africa and I think at the end of the day, Saudi Arabian money speaks louder. And they've got dunes, and it could be kind of cool. I mean, what if it became an actual Paris to Dakar race again? I just don't think it's going to happen. Northern mm. Africa is just a little bit too much of a mess. 
Um, uh, I, I mean, so Saudi Arabia. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, but but understand though, like if the Saudi Arabian government is on board, they can guarantee safety because no one's going to be doing shit. I'm trying to think of where they would go because I mean, they're basically looking at if they were to do Paris Dakar, it would be France, Spain, Morocco, Western Sahara, and then Mauritania, and then. Going into Senegal, I guess. Yeah, but like, this is the thing like, Senegal is not super safe. You're going to get a little too close to piratey stuff. Listen, man, what's Paris to Dakar without somebody shooting at you? Right. I thought but that was the whole point of this race. I guess the point I was trying to make, though, is like, as a journalist, like, I have no desire to go to Saudi Arabia. I, I don't think it would be safe for me. With that percep- whether that is real or not, that's my perception. I mean, that's still a perception. And like, it's just one of those places where like, it just, like, I'm just not going to go there to cover it. And I wonder if that's something that the ASO has even thought about. Like, hey, are any journalists going to show up for this? <laughs> are any competitors going to show up for this? Right. Like, like what kind of guarantees are you going to make about people's safety? Because I want to see, the, I wanna see the, the prince getting on television like, come to Saudi Arabia. It is very safe for journalists. We have highest degree of safety for journalists we will make sure he's, you will leave here in one piece he's gonna have like one of those tearaway calendars in the back like 11 days since journalists beheaded <laughs> and you're like oh okay cool god damn is it too soon to laugh at that i'm just it's laughing because i'm nervous it's it's like a gallows laughter i fuck no i'm never going there because i just laughed about that thanks jensen but that's the thing like it's just like it's one of those places like i'm just never gonna go to north korea i'm just never gonna go to saudi arabia i'm never gonna go to somalia um, I hope for some reason you and I end up in North Korea just so I can look at you and be like, never, huh? <laughs> never. <laughs> never say never, dumbass. <laughs> Anyways, it's um, it's a very interesting movie. It, it sounds like they're going to be there for 2020, and then maybe it'll spread the wealth. I think there was some talk of uh, Jordan, which I think is a, a wonderful venue. Jordan's an amazing place. Um, where else were they saying? I've already lost track. There could be there could be some spots. We'll see. I don't know. I'm very I'm very curious about this though, Shaheen. Be cool if they went to like Mongolia. That would be a great pick. That'd be amazing. Uh, BMW do the tourist trophy. Yeah, they do that. I think isn't it isn't it annual there? At Mongolia, they change they change do they? spaces. But yeah, one year was in Mongolia. It was rad. Um, speaking of rad, Cressini now offers all-wheel drive kits. For I KTM was Adventure looking bikes. at that. How close are you to buying a twelve ninety? adventure realistically like a year and a half no a year and two months we'll see we'll see where ducati is with the upcoming multistrada i still think there's going to be a new multistrada in a year and a half in a year and a half yeah because they they came out with the dvt multistrada which is a new face in 2015 and ducati typically has a five-year turnaround between design changes so by 2020 let me think about this let me put my ducati divining cap on oh i think at Eichmann this year, we're going to see a Street Fighter V4. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do Zero not argument. think we will also see a Multistrada V4. I think Multistrada V4 will be 2021. Ooh. If such a thing exists. He, here's what I want. I don't necessarily care for a V4 Multistrada. I mean, that would be cool on the just the touring version, the sport touring bike version, but for a proper dual purpose adventure bike yes I, I want something that's more akin to that ktm 1290 adventure R, or our adventure agreed i uh, think i think if you're gonna put that v4 motor into a multi it needs to be more adventure sport yep like just make 
Make a Street Fighter. That would be a mean Pikes Peak Edition. With some Holy fairings moly. and longer suspension. Yep. Like, I don't want anything else. Nope. BMW S1000XR-ish. Turn off your sound, Jensen. Um, and then on, that on steroids. Yep. You put that V4 motor and try and say, like, this is an off-road bike. You're out of your mind. No, don't want it. Give me that Give me that twin. It doesn't need to have a ton of horsepower. I want all that torque. 150 horses is more than enough. And But I want something that's got really strong suspension. So this is something I was actually going to tell you about. My bike's about to go back to the shop. Yes. Because my front suspension is making a weird clunking sound. So that's not just your tractor tire you got on there? <laughs> no, it really isn't. It is the suspension. It's when I'm coming to a stop. It's almost like this click, click, click when I stop. And then when I when the bike rebounds, it click, click, clicks back up again. Ooh. So, uh, I mean, I've been riding the bike, adventuring it. I'm, but I'm not like jumping in and doing crazy stuff. But the point is, I'm still adventuring it. So it's going through ruts and hitting rocks and going over branches and stuff like that. And so I want a suspension setup that has enough travel and enough strength behind it that I don't have to keep worrying about that every year and a half. I've had that bike for a year and a half. It's got 18,000 miles on it now. And I'm already looking at, you know, a suspension that's making weird noises. So I don't know if the KTM 1290R is any better, but when I rode my buddies, it just felt like the thing could literally bounce off of a boulder and it'd be all right. Whereas my bike feels a little more fragile. So that's what I'm looking for. If Ducati's listening, they need to concentrate on, if they're going to put a V4 in a Multistrada, cool, but they need to make a dedicated, proper adventure touring motorcycle that can handle rough stuff without falling apart. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think, too, the the bigger point for me is make the bike for the market. Like this, Like, we know what the market wants. Right. And I think... Ducati has really shown like with the Multistrada what they can do when it's kind of like their own their own little take on it. Right. But no one was really taking the Multistrada off-road. So they came out with the Enduro model, which was made more for it. And it never really told the story. It no. never really told us like why this is the bike for it. Never really like proved it out. And I think ADV riders are a very, very conservative bunch. They want to be shown like, hey, this is a big, tough, reliable machine. Yeah. And Ducati never did that. Like, no one wants to take their delicate Italian, no. you know, 165 whatever horsepower motorcycle off road with its fancy electronics. There's literally only a handful of us in the world that do it. And it's funny. I mean, I, I follow most of these people on Instagram, at least the ones that put it on there. Let's assume half of those people really go and do those rides and they're not just parked next to a dirt patch saying, hey, I did this thing. Right. So. I wonder, is it because most Ducati riders don't want to go on the on the on those non-beaten, you know, those those paths that aren't regular? Or is it because Ducati isn't making a bike that makes us feel wholly comfortable with the idea? Now I said, you know what, I'm buying this bike, I'm gonna ride it exactly how it is. This bike's never had not knobby tires on it because I'm always taking it off-road. I'm always trying to kind of have a good time and throw up a bunch of mud and go up a hill and camp in a weird little spot. And so I want to use that bike for what it is. So if I'm paying $23,000 for a big adventure touring bike, I want it to be able to withstand the adventure part of that touring. Yeah. So if if Ducati is going to build another version of this bike, which they will, that's what I would ask for. I, I don't necessarily care so much about... I mean, it's you know it's going to have electronically adjusted suspension, but they need to think about how they're going to toughen it. They need to think about where they're going to put their air intake on that next version because this current version... The first iteration that came out in 2016, a lot of people had engine problems because 
it was taken in dirt through the uh, intake. And so they would find just, I mean, like handfuls of dirt on top of the cylinder. Yeah. So Ducati's idea was, you know, to fix it. They basically put like this double seal around the intake. To be fair, KTM had the same issue. Well, so the, I mean, the problem that Ducati had was basically, the, if you look at where the intake sits, it sits right in front of the, uh, behind the front tire. So it's like just taking deposits yeah. constantly. So if you're going to make like a the bike, bank, like, just taking deposits, just taking deposits like the bank. But if you're going to make a bike like that, you should think about stuff like that. It shouldn't be just an, you know, a, uh, an iteration of the street version that just has taller suspension and taller wheels on it. You're just asking for trouble then. And that's what we're learning right now. I mean, we've seen the Multistrada change so many times from its very first 1000 version to what it currently is. And I can only imagine the next version being even more incredible. So I am waiting, to answer your original question, I am waiting to see what Ducati does with the next version of the Enduro before I turn orange and black. Huh. Interesting. Even though that orange and black bike costs like four or five grand less, mm -hmm. that's a kick to the nuts. I mean, I don't know why you're not looking at the 790 Adventure, too. Oh, I am. Absolutely. 100%. I'm, I'm waiting to see what the suspension on that looks like. I'm waiting to see what it has on there. Because um, I think it's going to have, like, all the comfortable stuff, too. I mean, there's times I'm stuck on the highway and I want cruise control. I think I think you'll be okay. I heard a, I heard a whisper that may be waiting a year or two. Dun, dun, to be dun. beneficial to those who enjoy the middleweight adventure bike of the Orange Persuasion. Really? Yeah. Why is Yamaha gonna paint their Tenere seven hundred orange? Oh, that's never going out. You thought we were going positive with the MT ten, and I got you with the Yamaha Tenere burn. It's just because our feelings are hurt. Um, yeah, it's because they're just dallying, Ugh. just dallying with that thing, I'm just pouting. No, I have a feeling. So we had a we had a rumor uh, I posted. Um, I don't know how many weeks ago. I lose track. It's all a blur, Shane. But burger. but. KTM is working on an 890cc version of that twin motor. I saw you put that and up. And that'll be that'll show up around Euro 5 time. And that sounds very interesting. So 2021? 2021. Ooh, that sounds we might hold off. See, I don't think we'll see some of it. We could see some of it this year. There's a chance at ICMA this year we could see something. I don't I'm, I'm think super so. excited for 2020 and 2021 see what comes out. Some interesting things are coming out in the next two years. Yep. But I have a feeling that 890 is going to end up in an adventure bike. And I think that could be very cool. Here's more than likely what's going to happen in, in Shaheen's garage. <laughs> that V4 Street Fighter is probably going to happen. Oh, my gosh. Which means my I'm, next... I got, I'm already starting to hide my money. <laughs> which means that the next super adventure touring bike I buy is probably going to have to not... Be, it's going to have to be cheaper. So if they do say a 890 version, hell yeah. Could be cool. That'd be super cool. Could be cool. It'll do the thing I need. So I don't want to mess up anyone's Christmas, but I have heard inklings that that motor is confirmed and will be a Euro 5 arrival and that their strategy with it is very interesting. I'm excited. But let's go back to this thing that you'd start talking about, the Christini. Yes. So... It have you ridden a Christini? I've never ridden a Christini. Uh, a, a dear friend of both of ours has one. I've, so I've ridden that one. Um, they're cool bikes. Very complicated. 
very com- like like mechanically very complicated not very complicated in operation okay you literally hit like a little thumb lever switch it's like a to turn it on and off i don't know how you describe it is it like that is it like the rear is it like the parking brake on a scooter yeah kind of Got it right. actually reminds me of like the old school gear shifters like when you're a kid like where you had to like press it with your thumb and it was just like a <laughs> right you know like a clock kind like of it's got to kind of go in and get engaged and push. yeah it's like that um but it's cool like you can you can disengage it if you want or you can leave it engaged and it self-engages when the rear wheel starts to slip is that the only time it'll engage even when it's on yeah if you have slip at the rear wheel i don't think you can lock it it makes on. me think of, of like a subaru commercial yeah Kind of like a Subaru commercial. It's, you know, traction in the wheel that needs it most. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of like hitting the easy button, especially when it's slippery. Because what ends up happening is that front wheel engages and it basically just pulls you through the trouble, pulls you through the turn. What like when you're riding that bike? It just, it just feels like you're not losing traction. Really? So like if you go through, let's say it's like really muddy, like a really muddy turn. And you go through it, standard motorcycle, you know, you're going to get the rear wheel spinning up. You're going to kind of lose traction. It's going to kind of kick out on you maybe. You kind of drift through it, right? Mm-hmm. On the Christini, when the two-wheel drive is engaged, you don't really break loose with the rear. The The front wheel kind of ends up just dr- pulling you. Like, that's the best way I can describe it is, like, it just kind of pulls you through the turn. And so the wheels are more in line with each other. You feel more traction. And truthfully, you just go faster. It's, it's like hitting the easy button. Huh. It's the coolest thing in the world. And and now that they've got it for the KTM, I think that's one of the raddest things you can do for an adventure bike because, in fact, I posted the video of, who was it, dirtbiketest.com or whoever. The bike going up the sand. The sand, because yeah. that's where I think big adventure bikes show their weight and show their weaknesses. Oh, when yeah. you get into really loose dirt, really loose sand, really muddy conditions, excuse me, where a lighter more traditional dirt bike would have significantly less trouble could yep. still be a thing but significantly easier to do adventure bikes really show their weight and like this dude just clicks it on and it just tracks right through just the goes. sand like it's no issue it's interesting you got to watch him he actually has to put weight forward which is what you don't do when you have yeah. you know lack of traction in the rear well you got to put your weight back yeah and um so this is basically a combination chain and gear driven device isn't it like it's got a, a chain, a chain, a set of chains like on the yeah. head. It's it's super complicated. Yeah. So it takes a chain off the off the counter sprocket, off the engine up, and it goes like up the frame via chain, and then mm. it goes into like a oh, it's it's a not a shaft from the differential from the into a shaft, and then the shaft goes out to the forks, and the forks get driven by a chain, and those have like a oh my goodness, so Pretty. many things. So that sounds expensive. $4,500. Not cheap. And then you got to basically take your bike completely apart to put to put it, you know, the system on it. So let's call it a 10-hour labor time if you're going to pay somebody uh, to do it. You're going to have a, yeah, you're going to pay a lot. Um, so about six grand to have this thing installed, basically. But to be fair, like. To be fair. Don't adventure riders spend that sum of money on stupid exhausts and crash bars and farkles and stuff that arguably do Far less than what this achieves. Oh, I mean, we're not. I don't think I'm arguing that no one's going to spend money on it. I'm just wondering how much it costs. It's yeah. I mean, forty five hundred is the price, and then you're going to have to put the kit on either yourself or at a dealer. Right. Um, you're going to break it. You're going to take it to the dealer. They have to fix what you broke, which is and what put I, that thing which together. Is what I do. Sorry, That's pretty much what. Sorry most for partying. I have a whole garage full of tools, and I just use them to break shit. 
my 100 percent my kramer is being worked on today and that's exactly what i did oh hey hey guys yeah i totally um didn't have time to put things back together so <laughs> here's a problem here's a i created box for full you of shit. don't sneeze will you it's just it's very loose thanks for putting up with my nonsense <laughs> um i'm really stoked about this i think christine's got a really cool thing i i can see why the system's a little too complex for someone to come along and want to purchase that technology and be like oh we need to have that on our brand but on the flip side too i kind of look at like motorcycle companies and wonder why aren't you guys innovating yeah, when is this going to start being regular yeah i mean you're already charging people twenty four thousand dollars for a luxury adventure bike like i think it makes perfect sense in in the adventure space and BMW flirted with it on a April Fool's story a couple years ago <laughs> where they had a uh, hub motor in the front wheel. People just ran to the dealerships and put deposits down. Actually, I think, was it Wonderlich that did it? There's an actual working version of this, but it was also an April Fool's story. <laughs> and for me, like I think that that is the better solution because I look at Christina's solution. I'm like, holy God, that is a mechanical mess that achieves a really good goal. Right. But really going, you're really having to work hard to make that happen. Whereas an electric motor makes a ton of sense. Now you got the, the unsprung mass issue. You yeah, know, the bike already motors, weighs 600 pounds. They're, yeah. they're already pretty heavy. But if you can figure out a way to put a small, light, but powerful motor in the hub, I think technology's come across come far enough now that you could do that. That would be pretty cool. I think that's the solution. And then it's just a matter of running some some electronics down to it. I don't know why people aren't doing it. Like truthfully, I like Ducati, like KTM. Innovate, innovate or die. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's where we're at. Give me a reason to to, to give you my twenty three thousand dollars. <laughs> Very cool. So I think I, I'm stoked. I think this is a rad system. I don't know how many they're going to sell because it's it's kind of a beast. But I'm 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 sure they're going to sell at least a couple of them. So I wonder cool. if are, are they just selling it directly through themselves or is it a KTM dealership thing? No, Christine has always been kind of like their own jam. Everyone should try like find a friend that's got a Christine. Like that should be a thing. Just try it out. Like I wish there was more demos opportunities. I, I was really impressed with that with that bike when I rode it, especially not being the best off road rider in the world, uh, especially at that point in time. Like I really, I think that was like my third time on a dirt bike. Huh. So it was it was pretty. It was for me like hitting the easy button. Um, and I think there are certain conditions and certain situations where you can do more a two-wheel drive bike than a one-wheel drive bike um yeah especially especially where we are where it's you know wet and sloppy half the year and it's not stopping some of us from going out and finding a campsite yeah was it yamaha that was playing with a two-wheel drive system with an r1 by olens wow olens had a two-wheel drive hydraulic I can't imagine a reason for it on 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 street per uh i think it's the same reason i think in the wet I think it'd be pretty rad. Really? I think it'd be a game changer. Like on a wet track, I bet that's a game changer. I would love to see what that does to like a track time for under a professional rider, a regular R1 as opposed to a two-wheel drive R1. All I know is in the uh, the rule book here for Omra, there's nothing outlined two-wheel drive conversions for is that your Is that going to be your secret on your, on your Kramer? Actually, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Um... I had this idea of, I think you could take like a really cheap, like Agni motor, like one of these brushed garbage DC motors that <laughs> yeah. like are just, they're just junk. I'm just laughing because I can see where you're going here. They're just junk, but they're really easy to work with. And as long as you cool them 
and don't run them for too long. Right. They work pretty well. Um, I think it'd be really easy to just bolt that up to the front sprocket <laughs> and have just a really rudimentary uh, rheostat on like the left hand control that's just push to pass. <laughs> and I was looking through the rule book and there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't do it except you have to run in Formula Ultra, which is Omra's whammy bammy super fast. Yeah, that's just you got to run like 104s, 105s to be Ooh. competitive. I'm just not that kind of rider. I mean, you're a 106er. No, I am not, <laughs> sir. I am not. Um, but it is interesting to me that, that that's something that hasn't been explored in Oregon because I think it'd be very, it's very easy to do. Like, be a bit of a have, game changer, wouldn't it, around here? I don't have the most technical expertise in the world, but I think I could probably figure it out. <laughs> um, that's That's how like kind of easy button it is. And it'd just, it just be like kind of cool to have like just an extra twenty horsepower on tap for that straightaway. Yeah, that's just pure electric. Well, that the cool thing is everybody could have it, but now you have to kind of, you know, play your 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 cards just right to when are you going to use it? Yeah, because if you have used it and it's already gone, and you wouldn't be able to carry like too much battery on board. But I mean, I, I've played Mario Kart. I've used Boost. <laughs> you know how it works. But like <laughs> you know, in a sprint race where it's like seven ten laps. Yeah. Uh, it's not unreasonable uh, for a little a little squirt of power. Hey, speaking of little squirts of power, didn't you ride a scooter? I did. Oh, well, see, I was going to segue from the from the adventure stuff to your BRD, BRD, BDR. My BRD, my beard, your beard, your beard ride. Uh, yeah, do you want to talk, talk about my scooter? Or do you want to talk about your? Let's talk about your BDR. All right, let's talk about my BDR. Because like last episode, all I did was talk, and I'm I like when you talk. Your voice is very soothing. Um, what do you want to know? Ask me what's up. I have heard nothing about this trip, so start so, from the beginning. So here's from from what I understand about the the backcountry discovery route is that there there is a website and a group dedicated to finding these really awesome routes uh, for for the general riding population to go and enjoy in certain states, uh, namely like Colorado, Utah, Arizona, California, Washington, Oregon. So all these beautiful states that have a lot of mountains and, and neat uh, backdrops. Uh, and they're called the BDR, the Backcountry Discovery Route. And the whole idea is that you're just staying off the main roads. You're you're staying on dirt and gravel and, you know, semi-technical roads. Places that you can generally take any kind of adventure bike, whether it's a, you know, 250cc one or a 1250cc one. Um, Oregon is the only state that I think doesn't have uh sort of like a sanctioned map that you can go get anywhere there's one person i think that runs the whole thing and they they kind of map out the route and then you buy it from them whether by section or for the whole state or whatever hmm. so i have a little group of uh of <clears throat> merry men who like to get together a couple of times uh actually we're trying to do once a month this year uh and just kind of go out and try a different one so we decided to ride from the coast of oregon to i5 which is about an 80 to 90 mile stretch of mountain range uh, known as the Pacific Range, the, the coastal range. Um, it doesn't get very high up in alt- uh, elevation. I think we only get to like 1,500 feet, 1,600 feet maybe. Hmm. Um, but it is beautiful. And the whole idea is that you're just kind of out there, so you got to get really uh, good at packing the right amount of stuff. You're on a motorcycle, so you don't want to pack a lot of big stuff. And what I've learned is you got to treat it like you're backpack hiking. You know, you're just backpacking. So you want to get the smallest 
size stuff that can be put away neatly in a motorcycle saddlebag or softbags or whatever you have. So in our case, you know, we've got our tents, our sleeping pad, our sleeping bag, a pillow, uh, a nice little cooking utensil like a jet boiler or something like that. Uh, water, water, super important. Uh, and I've always got, a, I think I usually carry about two gallons of water with me just cause I have the big flat rota packs, um, uh, like tank on the back of my bike and then whatever I can carry on my back. Uh, and then some freeze dried foods and fruit and nuts and whatever. And, uh, you just kind of follow these maps. We use a combination of paper map, Gaia map that you can download on your phone. I think I pay like 50 or $60 a year to have a subscription to Gaia because it'll do, um, um, live tracking as you're riding. Huh, I've never heard of this. It's pretty neat. It's, it's used mostly by backpackers and hikers. Hmm. Are they like topo maps? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what's cool with it is you can basically uh, draw up a, oh, a, yeah, a map of where you want to go, and then you can broadcast that to other people that are in your group. Um, oh, and that's pretty cool, actually. It's yeah, it's super awesome. It, they they do a really really good job. It's very very highly detailed. So as long as you have you know GPS uh, coverage, you can, your Gaia map will work pretty well. And so again, you can you can do a predetermined route, and then it'll follow it for you. Uh, and then you can throw down breadcrumbs and create a ride for other people to share, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we kind of do that. There were four of us this time around, uh, two Multistrada Enduros, one 2013 Multistrada with 17-inch wheels on it and knobbies, and a 1290R Adventure. And we didn't really get super technical this time because uh, the road, you know, the not the road, but the route that we had was really close to the Umpqua River, which... If you're in Oregon and you haven't gone to the Umpqua River, you're missing out. It is some of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen in my life. But uh, we dealt with a lot of rain, a lot of mud, a lot of loose gravel, uh, and a shit ton of down trees. So we had to constantly fix where we were going. But it's unbelievable. If you haven't done a BDR, get your shit together. Go start shopping for good high-end uh, camping gear that, that's not very big and doesn't weigh very much and you can just put away and you know, whether it's your soft luggage or if you have big boxes on your big adventure bike and just start exploring. Uh, you, you get to see a whole different side of the state. Uh, you kind of get to disconnect a little bit because you typically don't have very good like 5G or LTE connection on your phone. So you're not checking your Instagram constantly and you're just out there. You're just listening to the world around you. And uh, if you're lucky enough to, enough to have a bunch of friends that come with you, you get just to connect, you start a fire. We all have our uh, axes with us, so we're chopping down trees and just burning them down and having a nice warm fire. Uh, and it, it was unbelievable. So the real thing that I learned is get the right gear. Uh, and the right gear means you're protected, but you're also able to move around a lot because you're dropping the bike once in a while. So you have to get up and move around a lot. You don't want tight, constrictive stuff, but you also want to have protection. So I actually wear my motocross shin guards and knee protector and my uh, my chest and back protector with me. And then I just wear like a Icon uh, Raiden gear, which yeah. is kind of loose and baggy, but take, it works really take well for pads that. out of the, the Raiden stuff? Or yeah. You leave yeah. it in? Mm -hmm. I, just, I just wear it without its pads, except for the elbow pad. I leave that on. Okay. Because um, my arms actually fit it pretty well. But dude, just... You got to make sure you can get lots of uh, uh, hydration and stop when you're getting tired because the minute you start getting fatigued, it's over. So, you know, we would ride from 10 in the morning to like four in the afternoon and then just call it a day. Just find a good spot to set up tents, 
make a fire, sit down, start shooting the shit, and you know, get a good night's sleep. Forgive me. How many days was your ride? So we did it. We did uh, two and a half days. Okay, just a quickie. Yeah, a quickie. Absolutely. Reason, I, thought you were going, I thought you were going longer than that for some reason. No, this one was a short one because it was only like 80, 90 miles. So we left Friday, you know, early afternoon and we were home by Sunday night. That's cool. It was amazing. You got to come to the next one. I do. I don't have a bike that would be appropriate for that. We got to find We can, we can figure that out. I bet we could. I bet somebody around here has a bike that they'll let you borrow. Shit, if I can get my hands on a bike, I'll let you borrow mine. I don't know. I think my reputation around here might precede me. So here's the cool thing with these BDR rides, right? You're, it's not the, you're not going fast. We're not trying to prove anything to anybody. It's just a matter of, you're literally sightseeing. That's all you're doing is you're sightseeing. I, I want to get an adventure. I think, I think I want to, there's a couple of bikes I want to go ride in the middleweight adventure bike category. Yeah. And I think one of those could end up in my garage very soon. I think all those middleweight ones are perfect for this kind of riding. Because That's what I think. Every one of us with these <clears throat> five, 600 pound motorcycles are always thinking, what if I drop this thing? Right. It's it's not even a matter of am I gonna hurt myself or the bike because we all know how to get the fuck out of dodge but you gotta pick it up and you can only do that so many times before you're like I'm done I'm tapped out I'm tired you know you've been riding for six hours your legs are sore your knees are sore and then now you gotta pick the thing up so you know we basically have like this predetermined rule of don't push it don't push it beyond your limits if you know how to ride fast get up front and have a good time but if you're riding slow get in the back we're always gonna wait for you as soon as there is a fork in the road we're stopping. Um, because again, ultimately all you're doing is you're sightseeing, you're pushing your limits a little bit and just kind of going on this path that you wouldn't otherwise go on because you have no reason to be there. It's, it's so off the beaten path. It's not even funny. And you have to make it a point to get there. We were talking, I think it was at the smart pull on launch. I think we were talking at lunch about, yes, we were, we we're talking about some of our more, um, extreme offs <laughs> and someone was talking about and this is a very accomplished off-road rider how they're on a bike and it kind of just fell down this ravine Shit. like tumbled like ended up in a creek you know 100 oh. feet below and they had to hike out and come back and i think it was a press bike and the oem had to get a helicopter to retrieve the bike wow had to pay for all the fluid, like like they got fined by the Forest Service. Oh yeah, you're, you're polluting at this point. And like we were like, ah, you know, like we're really having like a conversation about like absolute worst case scenarios, and like, it's like yeah, just take your time. Yeah, make sure the bike doesn't go down the ravine. That's it. That's all you got to do is you got to take your time. It's always anytime somebody gets hurt in one of these things, they're either trying to push the limit to better themselves or they're trying to show off. And more often than not, they're trying to show off. Uh, I almost lost it because I was being a goofball in front of my buddy and I was, you know, goosing him with mud. And I mean, I, I got into a crazy high speed wobble and I caught it, but it's like, all right, dumbass, slow it down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, then you start realizing like, oh, hospital is pretty far. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, super far. <laughs> interesting. But it was, it was really, it's, it's beautiful, man. I, I'm excited to go do other states. I think this year we're going to try and do Idaho um and washington the washington bdr is supposed to be amazing altogether too and i believe if you time it right you can hit the Touratech rally mm. uh, a buddy of ours did that last year and he said it was kind of a blast to show up at the Touratech rally and you just come out of the woods in your bike like hey guys i came the long way yeah. All right, <laughs> surprise neat trailer you got there yeah that's a cool trailer you got <laughs> i rode here what'd you do what'd you, you do that's cool Were you in heated seats on your truck that's cool that you got air conditioning yeah, it's a good time. And I'm always inviting people to, you know, ask me, email me if you have questions of like, 
what gear do you think? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what brand to buy, but I'm, I'll give you an idea of like what things you should definitely always have. It's just like the conversation we had in the last episode about you know doing track riding. It's all about having the right gear. If you have all the right gear, you don't have to worry about anything else. You just kind of go out there and you're prepared and you're mentally okay because you know you have everything you need and you go. If you can take somebody else with you, if there's at least two riders, you're even more at peace. I'm I'm a big fan of the buddy system when it comes Absolutely. to Absolutely. Buddy system is important. I learned that a long time ago when I was a kid. Yeah. Have a buddy. And things are more fun with your friends. Too. It is. You can, ex- oh, so that's the other thing. You know, we all have Bluetooth set up in our helmets and just the conversations are hilarious. I, for some reason, had a little bit of technical difficulty with mine. My, I use a Scala PackTalk Pro uh, and it works really, really well, except for my mic stopped working because I rode through like four hours of just crazy downpour. And I think it got wet, maybe. I think the connection was messed up. So I could hear everything. I just couldn't talk. And these guys just had a blast picking on me the entire time. I couldn't say anything back to them. Can't imagine that happening. Which is why I got in front of people and would just fling mud on them. Like, oh, I'm trying to get your attention. Here's some mud. <laughs> but it's 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 so much more fun if you guys can talk to each other. So if you don't have a Bluetooth set up in your helmet, throw some couple hundred bucks down and get the right one. Well, it's hard, too, because then you got to make sure everyone's on the same system. So now they're making it where even the, like, if you have a Senna and a Scala, you can still pair them up Bluetooth. They've made it where you can pair each other up. It's sometimes not the easiest, but it's doable. But you're right. If okay. if four out of four people all have Senna or Scala, it's a lot easier, they, I, especially yeah, with their seen, new mesh systems. I haven't seen that one. The Senna's been really big with uh, the press launches and coming out and making sure we're all hooked up on their mesh system, yeah. which is good. I mean, on the gen... I was going to say on the Jensen scale, I guess it has to be like a hundred because what else is out there? So Scala has the mesh system Scala, too. Scala's got one too, but like they're both in my mind like equally. Dude, it's the Chevy and Ford argument. They're yeah. both about the same and they both boast that I have this. I, no, I just read that. They're both, the, they're both the same, but like I would say neither of them is doing close to what I want. Like, this is my big problem with, with, with that space is, you know, it's like what I really want. I actually think Senna got the right idea. Like, Hey, we're gonna make our own helmet. Yeah. And I have one of those things. It is the worst fucking helmet I have ever seen. I don't think it's their helmet. It is. Well, I mean, no, it's some helmet they bought. Right. But some it, built fucking helmet. It's the worst helmet. Like, you want me to go downstairs and show it? To you? Have you seen this thing? I, I have. It it's, is the worst helmet. Uh, like, if you're just looking apart. at it as a helmet, it is horrible. It is a. It is exactly what it is. Because I think the helmet from them is like three hundred and fifty dollars. It is literally a. $50 helmet with a $300 I was going to say their systems it. cost that much money. So it makes sense that it's that bad because it has to be at that price point. Right. But that is what I want because from a use perspective, from like a, a user experience, helmet issues aside, it's exactly how I want a communication system to work. I don't have a thing that's hanging down on the yeah. side of my helmet. Yeah. I've got integrated buttons. I got integrated speakers. It's it's I just plug it in and I charge it. It's it's more polished. That's what I want. I don't want something because every time we go to these press launches and they're like, oh, we've got a Soma, a Senna, we can hook it up to your thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> shoot me in the fucking head. The last thing I want to do is tear apart the liner of my helmet to route these wires and these speakers. And they're super uncomfortable because my helmet wasn't really designed for them. And ugh. so there's a microphone of, like practically going down my throat. I think there's a couple of brands of helmets now that have integrated setup so you don't have to get the they cheap do. one because i think showy has one now they do uh schubert has always had one yeah 
they're a little spendy because you're talking about you know thousand plus dollars at this point. And those work to varying degrees and very varying degrees of 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 like bolt up workingness. Right. That's not a very well good way of saying that. It's perfect English. But they're not. They're varying varying levels of integration, and there's certainly a a step above, like just retrofitting. Right, a Senna or a Scala or whoever to your, your helmet, but they're not quite there yet. Shaheen. they're working on, it. and I think this is. I think all they're doing at this point is making sure like they have the most easy to use system. Like Senna's got or on a Scala's got their their app, which I'm sure Senna has Senna one too. Senna does too, yeah. There, if you look at them, if you were to sit them next to each other, they're almost identical. There is the same stuff, and they're always like. Scala's like, hey, we just got a thing with JBL. You're going to have better sound, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always going to be a little something they're fighting on. I remember when I first spoke to you about this was almost four years ago. And you said that like, the only time I'm going to be really impressed with this is if these guys can do something epic. Like, When are you going to make it where it'll have noise cancellation where I don't have to put an earplug in my ear? Yes. I want to stop wearing earplugs. Yeah. I would love that. That would be amazing. Because earplugs hurt after a while. I got headphones that that have noise cancellation. Why don't I have a helmet that has noise cancellation? So I'm I'm curious to see where where that goes. I will give them credit. It is a space that is constantly evolving. Oh yeah. So I'm impressed that they're they're not kind of just sitting there and doing nothing. Um You want to talk about scooters? Let's talk about scooters. I love scooters. Oh my goodness. You know, I've gotten in more trouble on scooters than actual motorcycles. Scooters. So so going back to my trip to Italy. So we we talked last show. I was in Portugal riding the Spartpolin, the Husqvarna Spartpolin 701. And before that, I was at Magello riding the RSV4, the Aprilia RSV4 mm, 1100 Magellan. factory. Um, before that, so we're just going back in time. We're going, we're Tarantinoing it. That's right. I was in Milan riding the new Vespa Electrica, which is their electric scooter. But we also got to some seat time on the new Vespa GTS 300 Super. Oh, gee, that's like the biggest one they make, isn't it? That's the biggest. It's the most powerful scooter they've ever made. Uh, it's Those got are a, awesome words to put next to each other, whole, by the way. Yeah. And the most powerful scooter in the world. The, the two-second takeaway from that is scooters are actually a lot of fun. They're amazing. And they are terrifying to ride in Milanese traffic. <laughs> actually, I feel like they're probably the best things to have in Milanese traffic. They are. So Dart back and forth. Yes and no. Um... The Vespa Electrica is a 50cc equivalent scooter. Oh, yeah. Oh. So not a lot of power. Nope. So that made things a little sketchy where you're like, oh, I don't really have enough juice to to get out of this situation. So does it only go to like 50 kilometers here. an hour or something? Like 30 miles an hour? I think it's capped at 45. Yee. What do my notes say? I wrote a story about it. That's good for like Hawaii or Key West. 30 miles an hour top speed. Yep. Um... And and there's a reason it's it's set like that because in Europe, 50 cc machines you don't need to have a license. No, well, I'm, and and a lot of states in the U.S. don't really do that. There's right. a, there's a few, so it makes it makes less sense here, but it makes a lot of sense over there. So it's a very like easy way to get people with two wheel mobility on electrics doing the thing. And I get that. I don't think it's going to sell very well in the U.S. I think you need to have at least like a 200. I don't know what equivalent to be honest. Well, the problem like, with, the problem with it is you can't even put it like in a bicycle lane, so it's not like an e bike either, right? Right. So you're kind of like stuck in this like awkward spot. Right. Like, my example was like 
if I was living in California, so I don't know what Oregon's laws are, but I know in California, you need an M1 license to ride something like that. Right. Well, to get an M1 license, it's pretty much the same requirements to get an M2 license. So there's no real reason why you would get an M1. You might as well just get an M2, and then you can ride anything. Right. Even if all you wanted was a scooter, you might as well get an M2 license because maybe one day you want a motorcycle, and why would you want to take that license test over exam? So, Because I like going to the DMV, Jensen. Ah, yeah, right. Who doesn't? So it's just like a hard sell in the U.S. But over there, it makes a lot more sense, and I kind of get that. And I also understand, too, that this is a starting point for Vespa, and they actually have a plan to bring out a bunch more models that have you know equivalencies. So They're like testing the waters 100 right CCs, 150, 250, 300 CC equivalent type bikes, type scooters, I should say. So that makes sense. And I think it's a really big deal that a brand like Vespa is making an electric scooter. I agree. Like the scooter brand right. is investing in electrics. That is a sign of our times. Interesting. Contrast that with riding the Vespa GTS Super, which is like, too much power for the street. It still has the tiny little Vespa wheels, doesn't it? Yeah. That's a lot of engine. But it's putting out like 25, 30 horsepower. That's a lot of engine. Something (laughs) silly. And uh, What does that thing do? That thing's fucking like, so we hop off the electric and hop onto that. (laughs) And it's like night and day and we're still splitting through lanes. I remember like the first time I got on the throttle and I can't get a little goose. I was like, oh, diggity damn. There it goes. you wheelie it? No. Oh, come on. (laughs) I don't think you can wheelie those things. But it, it, it gets moving. And we went on the freeway, no problem. And I don't know if I'd want to be on a freeway in those with those tiny wheels. They're terrifyingly fun. And you know, you were talking about roosting in the mud. So we went <laughs> we went out to uh Monza. And you know the the high speed test track that they have there. Oh yeah. We may or may not have gone out to that. I can't say that we did. But had you gone on it, someone how fast would, get would you in have trouble gone? if we did go there. <laughs> but let's say hypothetically we did. Like I may have hypothetically took it down this like muddy little area, <laughs> goosed it, and did one of the biggest like kind of J turn drifts I've ever done in my Woo! entire life on a scooter. Hypothetically, dank scooter. Not going to say that I did that. Just saying that you that's how it would have been. That would have been like a neat children's storybook scenario. That was by far could have been the most crossed up I've ever been on a motorcycle before. Scooter, maybe if that had happened. Did you? Hold on. Did you get some gelato on that scooter? We didn't get any gelato. Jensen Beeler. I know, right? You love gelato. Um, we were we we did some interesting things though. We we had a we had a fun time. It was really interesting to spend a lot a whole day on scooters and to see what that was all about because um I think it changed some perceptions. Like I had a lot of fun. I think right. that's a great way to move people. I would totally buy <laughs> like a Vespa scooter now or, or any scooter. It's just that 300. I was like, this thing's rad. For real. This thing's legit rad. I, <laughs> I was out riding this last Saturday uh, with a buddy of mine around town just putzing around I mean, taking pictures. Look at, look at this little bumblebee. Oh, dude, look at that thing. That's the right color too. I know, right? It's a, it's a good, that's a good yellow. That's a pull me over yellow. That's a, Except you're on a scooter. So if you get pulled over on that, the cop's just giggling. Yeah. He's like, what are you doing? What are so you anyways, doing? We're riding on? around town here in Portland on Saturday and there must have been some kind of a scooter meetup. I, There's a scooter shop just down the street here, and they organize rides. Dude, there yeah. was, I mean, we saw, I don't know, 100 scooters at one point, and every time we saw them, we would scream in our helmets like, Scooter! And it just looked like so much fun. So we were wondering if they would let us with our 1,200cc motorcycles join their scooter gang. Because a couple of these guys had, uh, I'm not making this up, Jensen, like black and uh, dark, dark, silver, dark, 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 super, dark, super dark gray with like medium dark gray 
and golden dragons on there. Like I felt like I was in a fucking Kill Bill movie scene right then. It was amazing. And one of those dudes was on a on an Aprilia RS50, not a scooter, but he fit he fit right in. So we so we also got to go to the Vespa factory, Neat. which was interesting because we also went to the Moto Guzzi factory. Ooh. And I wanted to write a story that's called A Tale of Two Factories because I feel like this is like the Piaggio brand in a nutshell. Okay. Like I didn't really quite understand Piaggio until I went on this trip because you think of Piaggio, you think you think Moto Guzzi, you think Aprilia, you think Vespa, you think Vespa, yeah. Piaggio scooters. As soon as I say Piaggio to my friends, they're like, oh, aren't they the ones that make the three-wheel scooter? Like, uh, They also make the three-wheel scooter. Yeah, they yes. make a lot of things. <laughs> but so much, I, I always kind of like wonder, like, how does this company stay in business? Like Aprilia does not sell a lot of units. Moto Guzzi sells like 9,000 units worldwide. But Vespa. Vespa sells like 100,000 yeah. units worldwide every year. And going to their their facility, you can kind of see like the level of that operation. That's what made sense for me. Because you go to you go to Motoguzzi. It's right outside Lake Cuomo. Wow. Be careful. You might fall in the fall in the lake if you're not careful. Really? That close. Like someone like I did. What? Got a little too close to a boat ramp. Fell into the lake, like up to my waist. When is this? <laughs> this <laughs> last trip? Yeah. This last trip. <laughs> the pants that I'm wearing right now, covered in like green slime Just algae. And Cuomo algae? Just That's George, expensive Cl- algae, man. George Clooney's algae is all over me. <laughs> I, I got to take my pants to the. Your to the, ocean's 14 and a half. I know, right? I got to take the, my pants to the hotel, like laundromat thing. <laughs> Eight euros for them just to wash my pants. Welcome the pants like, come well, back still green. Like, I don't even think they put them in the washroom or anything. I think they just pressed them <laughs> with an iron. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you guys doing? Permanent algae now. Um, may have stiffed them the bill on that. I didn't really check out of my room. Well, I mean, technically, so, they so I think, didn't really I think Piaggio it. probably got tagged with that with that bill. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the free pasta. Um, you make lovely scooters. We were in a rush to get to the train station. Um, things happen. Was there, was a, there was a painting so, you stole. You had to get, you know, away from the bad guy. It was the whole thing. Um, Catherine Zeta Jones, hot little, as ever. Don't know, don't know how to explain it to you. <laughs> anyway, so we go to the Motoguzzi factory. It's right outside Lake Cuomo. And Cuomo? Why am I saying Cuomo? Lake Como. Lake Cuomo. 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 I don't know if that's even like a. Correct. It's not. It's not. You're just making it up. Cuomo. I like it. Cuomo. I think I'm just. It's the burger. It's still talking. Burger. Lake Burger. Cuomo. Um. But it's like this old historic factory. It's it's huge. It's a huge campus. And they probably use like a third of the buildings. The other two thirds have just kind of been, oh, that's where we used to do stuff. We don't do stuff there anymore. What what's that? Just just dust there now? Who knows? It's it's a super so there's there's a small assembly line for the engines, and then there's a larger assembly line for the bikes, but it's only two lines. Huh. It's not a very big factory because they're only doing nine thousand units a year, and they've got their museum, and it's very modest. But it's got a it's got like a hundred bikes. It's got a lot of bikes, but it's, it's been not around a minute. But it's very modestly put together. It's it's just it feels very Italian. It's got that very turn of the century post World War II feel to it, and they still have like the tunnels that the factory workers run into when the Allies would be bombing the factory because <laughs> they were making like tanks or something there during World War II. Yeah. And, there's a couple jokes that were made, but um, <laughs> probably a little too soon to call it the Eagle's Nest. We we get there and like because the Motoguzzi logo is an eagle. Yeah, I was gonna say didn't didn't they have didn't so, they say that? As so like, like our, a, our little guide's like, oh yeah, this is the home of <laughs> this is the nest of the eagle. This is the Eagle's Nest. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Nope, nope, phrasing, phrasing, too soon, too soon. <laughs> I 
you guys were on the wrong side of the war for you to be able to say that. <laughs> there's a reason the allies were bombing you. Yeah, there's Stop a reason it. you have escape tunnels in the hill over there because we were bombing you because you were doing some stuff that you weren't supposed to be doing. Anyways, um, so you see that and it's very rustic. It's very Italian. It's very quaint. That's very interesting. And then you go to the Vespa factory and it's super modern. Really? It is the mo- it is the most impressive factory it I've it ever been to. It needs to be uh, efficient. They're pumping out 100,000 units a year. We didn't even see humans building things until the Whoa. second half of the tour. The, Say it ain't so. The first half, it's like all this robotic, automated painting arm thing that's like straight out of... All uh, the robots that have Italian names. Like Geppetto over there is uh, painting. Yeah. What was the movie? Guido is Minority Report. Remember that you ever watched Minority Report? Oh, yeah, with little like... And he goes to the Audi factory, and there's like no humans. It's just robotic arms building things. Yep. That's the Vespa factory, like no the first third of it. I have such a hard time picturing this. All the painting is done by robot. And then you go downstairs. What does you, the human And do? you find just the humans. Serve the robot overlord? Yeah, basically. Then you go downstairs, you find the humans like just building things, and you're just drinking, going, like, co- dr- drinking espresso. And like, they're going to figure out a way how to replace you. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Like, because of the worker union, you can't be replaced yet by robots, but they totally would if they could. Whoa. But a great, a great example to, to like frame this um, we're sitting there at the Motoguzzi line, and they've got like this janky ass old mechanic torque wrench you know like the kind where like you turn the base to the setting you want oh, well, not cool. like not like the digital kind where you no. hit like a button and they're talking about like you know like how they have this system and the engineers come in and they figure out what bikes are gonna be making and they adjust all the torque wrenches at the different stations to what they're supposed to be and then they physically lock them they have a locking mechanism like turn key locks it on the setting so that it'll always be precise and you're like, okay, like it, it's like t- they were talking about like how that kind of like removes like, like a, it's a quality control thing. It removes the guesswork from the 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 builder from the assembly person, right? And they have like you know multiple torque wrenches that are set at specific torques, and they're just kind of sit there like in line. Like I torque it with this one, and then the thing comes down, and I torque it with that one, and that's and that's how we do that. And it was really really kind of like interesting. Because it's kind of like an old school solution to a to a quality control problem. Contrast that with what goes on at Vespa, <laughs> where they have like this wireless system from Stanley Tools, where the worker scans their badge. It tells them, okay, John's using the the torque wrench now, and then the scooter comes down the line. You scan the scooter with a laser. Oh, you're working on bike six three seven dash five seven five. Uh, and it's this bike, and then that automatically sends it to the computer, and it goes into some database. John's working on dash six seven three five at you know fourteen twenty three on Thursday on that's, this date two twenty three for those of you who don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, and then it's like it like knows like oh you're you're doing the the head tightening bolt head tightening bolt what the fuck is that swing arm pivot <laughs> bolt brake rotor bolt I just made a bolt up just the this is the hate. This is the Do modulator we, head tightening bolt. <laughs> this is this is why I don't work on motorcycles. <laughs> I mean, we have the tools downstairs, but we're just gonna. Break I just it. don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> that's why professionals work. And on I have camera. a digital torque wrench. But that's the thing; like, it, it has this whole like storage in the cloud, information in the cloud, backs into a quality service system. Like, if there's a recall, <laughs> like Giuseppe was having a bad Thursday, and all of his bikes are all screwed up. We know all. We know exactly which bikes Giuseppe touched, Dang. and his head tightening bolt, and like what the specs supposed to be. God damn head tightening bolts. <laughs> damn head tightening. <laughs> bolt. That's gonna be a new thing. Head tightening bolt. <laughs> head tightening bolt. What is that? 
not even a thing. It's like my buddy in Florida once upon a time said a mythical fact, and it stuck for life. Yeah. The fuck's a mythical fact? It's like headlight <laughs> fluid. Uh, get your exhaust bearings and head tightening bolts. But it was just so, like, it was this whole, like, system that probably cost millions of dollars, and it's in some cloud with some database with geolocation and all this other bullshit stuff. And it was just night and day. You couldn't get two systems that were more night and day. How far are they from each other? Uh, well, the Vespa factory is near Florence, and the Motoguzzi factory is in uh, north of Milan. Okay. So, like, I mean, they're like two, three hours away yeah, from okay. each other. Yeah, okay. So they're not like right next door to each other. No. Like, no, no I no. wanted to imagine they're right next door to each other, and there's like this crazy contrast. They were just like, eh, those guys at Motoguzzi, no, don't worry about them. They're all right. It was just so painfully obvious, like, Motoguzzi, probably not a big contributor to the total revenue of Piaggio. So they're content to get by with maybe some, say, antiquated solutions to cost savings and quality control and things like that. Such as? So it's like the locking, the physical <laughs> lock on the torque wrench. This, this, the head this, tightening bolt. This facility that hasn't been touched since World War II that they only use like a third of. They have to wear hard hats because, for real, it could fall on you any minute. Yeah, I mean, they building. showed us this um, uh, wind tunnel that they used to use. And it was like, like back in the day, it was pretty slick. Right. And like by today's standards, you'd be like, seriously? That's like one of those fans you have in your warehouse now to cool you down? Well, it was. So the funny thing is, it's a fan that sucks instead of blows. Oh. So I want to know the test rider who gets on that and accidentally falls off. Like oh, you're no. going through the fan. Oh, I wonder if they've ever had any accidents. I think there's a reason we do blow fans, not suck fans. We've gone from suck to blow captain. Exactly. Exactly. It's space balls. Come on. <laughs> but you sit there and like, how does someone not get killed by this thing? Like on a yearly basis. There's, I bet you they have someone that got at least a leg lost. And then like they have this giant light up board in front of it. That will tell the rider, like how fast they're being simulated going. It goes up to like 200 kmh. Okay. So that's uh, 120 miles sucking? an hour. And it's sucking. I don't understand. So you have this giant fan behind you sucking the air at 120 miles an hour. And if you fall off this motorcycle, you're going through the fan. It's just the most bizarre thing. But it's still there. Okay. I mean, obviously, they're not using and so it. So you have to have your back to this thing, I imagine, because it's creating. I, just, I mean, they don't use it or anything anymore. But it's just there to like see that's a part of their history. But it's just kind of funny to me that, that it still exists. Like They haven't had like a... Hey, we really need that space where the suck fan is. Can we like to make a blow fan? We got to put a blow. We got to put guys. something in there. Sorry. We got to make like a bigger cafeteria or something. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting to me. But and then to contrast that with the Vespa, we were like, this is clearly where Piaggio is making money. Like they've modernized this facility. This is state of the art. This is the most impressive factory I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've been in a few factories, and you're just like, yep, that's where you're. You guys are getting like the maximum efficiency. This is how you're making like these scooters at. You know, you're getting a good healthy margin on these little fuckers because you're selling a boat ton of them every year. Yeah, I get it. I get it. That's amazing. I love that it's so different and it belongs to the same company. I know, right? I just want to say something. We haven't mentioned this animal's name in a couple of episodes, but Coda Kitty has discovered my sweater and is kicking its ass right now. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to buy a new sweatshirt after this. I mean, it's really cute, Coda, though. don't be a jerk. Somebody was wondering why we didn't say her name, and it was because she was behaving the last episode. But there you are. Oh, she's been a total being Coda now. I'm, I'm back home. She's like, ah, <laughs> fuck you guys. I don't like you anymore. Pay the rent. Get the fuck out of here. You're not my real dad. <laughs> You're not my daddy. Uh, yeah. So very, very interesting to see the the tale of two uh, 
did you were you able there. to take photos and everything like yeah. show it yeah, off yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. excited for that yeah. i actually have always wanted to go to italy and do like a factory tour between like all the motorcycle and car brands that are you know known in italy lamborghini tour is one of the coolest i've ever done i bet uh, very really cool facility to see what they're doing. It just all started with a giant tractor. Yeah, right. I love that. Right. That's so cool <laughs> to me. Uh, haven't done the Ferrari one, uh, but I've done Ducati. We haven't done Aprilia. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really cool to see what they've done. I bet. Um, kind of like meet your meat sort of thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, it'd be, that'd be a cool thing to do. I think it'd be fun, like spend a week in Italy as a motorhead and just like hit all the oh, factories. Yeah. You can do ride around. You can do the Ducati one and the Lamborghini one the same day easily. I, I think. I think I even did do that. Uh, the hardest thing is just getting around because like Marinello is pretty far from like Florence, which right. is where. Uh, Vespa would be actually it's actually it's about an hour outside of Florence. Um, you think Vespa would let us borrow a pair of three hundreds to do that tour across Italy? Yeah, to go visit other people's factories. Probably. Yeah, not. I mean it'll just be a tour. It'll be a tour. Like we could call it like you know uh, getting cultured in Italian uh, industry. What, one of the decision makers for that's probably listening right now. We'll let them call us and let us know. Yeah, you let us know. I think that'd be kind of fun. I don't think I don't think Biagio is flying flying me out to Italy anytime soon again. Is that it? You've 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 overstayed your welcome already. I often do. <laughs> I got that. I got that laundry bill. I just tagged. That's him with. true. Eight pounds. Can you just send him eight, eight pounds? Eight euros. Oh, sorry, eight euros. So that's like what nine dollars? Like yeah, nine dollars and ten cents probably at this point. I don't know. I'm gonna do a little quick conversion here. I don't know euro. Yeah, it's about one point one. Yeah. 1.13. But you're going to get tagged with the transaction Ooh. fee and everything. It's gonna be like eight, be Can like you please call us and have Jensen pay that bill? Because we would love to come do a tour. I'll just get tell you what. Find it in Austin. I'll give you a tenner. We'll call it even. <laughs> I'm actually going to go visit those guys in Austin. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm going to go see what's up. Have a little come to, come to Shaw talk. Yeah, come to the Shaw. Come to the Shaw. <laughs> Stay for the party. Yeah, so... Do you want to move? Are we, are we done with scooters? Is there anything else you want to know? Yeah, I mean, while you were at the Vespa fact or the the Motoguzzi factory, did you happen to see a certain bug-eyed adventure bike? In fact, that was what was on the line. So that was kind of cool. So you're talking about the Motoguzzi V85 TT, TT, which is their kind of heritage-styled adventure bike. Why are they calling it the TT? Because that's the name. I know, but it's it's not like tourist trophy. It's, it's got to have a. That's just the fucking name. I don't, I don't I don't make up the names. I just I always figured a company with such culture would have a reason behind TT. I bet there is. No, yeah, they're both called the TT, and one's called the Adventure. The Adventure basically just comes with boxes. Nice. You need boxes for adventuring. That's what I was saying earlier. Um, and I think it comes with wire wheels. Does it come with wire wheels. Definitely. Need, actually, I thought they both did. All the pictures I saw were wired mm, wheels. I think you're right. Which one's I the? It's, I think it's literally just boxes. Do you have to pay extra for the yellow and red paint? The adventure only comes in the yellow and red. At least in the U.S. market, the adventure comes in the yellow and red, okay. and the normal comes in like a gray. And I think the you know, I'm looking at the price. I'm 99 sure the only difference is boxes and and paint. Um, and I believe tires are different. They are different. I know they're different because I remember that now. 
Uh, well, so thoughts? Thoughts. Interesting bike. I uh, liked it. Okay. So, air-cooled, 850cc. I think, 80 it's, horses? I think it's 853. I should probably... Ooh, it's a cheater. Cheater, cheater. I like it, though. You know, everyone's yeah, cheating eight, nowadays. Oh, look at that. I'm right on the money. 853cc, uh, 500 pounds wet, makes about 80 horsepower. You know, it fits into that 850cc middleweight category really, really well, and which is which is pretty amazing considering... Like, it's the wrong engine. You know, these big transverse <laughs> V-twins. It's air-cooled. You know, it's kind of agricultural. Uh, it stacks up pretty well. I'm actually, it looks pretty... It looks pretty... I don't know what the right word is, but kind of petite and tidy on that frame, though. It doesn't you know look what? like it sticks way out. It, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't stick too far out with the cylinder heads. Um, really I mean, BMW, fun. if you want to talk about cylinder heads that stick out. Well, yeah, the R1200s are yeah, ridiculous, the right? biggest cylinder heads that stick like a foot out on each side. And have you seen the R18 thing that they're doing? The, I, the... I tripped over it at the fucking <laughs> the one show. <laughs> My shin still hurts. <laughs> you don't even need a kickstand. Just put it on the <laughs> no, you don't. It's right there. Head. It's insane. Uh, so I, I like this bike a lot. Um, I'm not going to buy one. But I was never going to buy one. I'm not. It's not my jam. But I can totally see if someone's into the retro heritage look, wants an adventure bike. This is a pretty strong choice. Uh, really fun to ride on the street. You can ride it really aggressively. Um, my only complaint really is the clearance for the foot pegs because that kind of spoils the fun. It's a bike that actually is fun to ride at speed. But you can't ride it that fast because you start scraping hard parts mm. pretty quickly. Gets kind of scary, and you really got to like start hanging off of it. And like, I'm like, it's not a sport bike. I don't want to be fucking dragging a knee on this fucker. Um, so I wish it had a little bit more clearance for the pegs, but I don't want them to compromise the seating position. So what I really want is for them to give me about two more inches of ride height. In the, in the suspension. I mean, I would imagine I would want that as an adventure rider anyways. And I was going to ask you what that's going to be like. And that's the other part where it's like, and then I think you can have a lot more cred taking this off road because you got two more inches of travel and you can get over some of the bumps. Like we, we didn't really do that much off road riding. So we were in Sardinia. We probably did, I forget how many miles we did. Let's say we did like a hundred miles, 90 miles of, uh, of road riding. Mm-hmm. And then we had like one photo stop where we we're getting like dirt shots. And it was literally, I think one of our colleagues said it was like 200 meters of off-road riding. Okay. And I think that might've been generous. <laughs> we literally went down a road, turn around. Well, not, it wasn't even like a road. It was like a parking lot. I don't know how to describe it. Little dirt, the little dirt. It was like an undeveloped it was like a, it was like a bit nook. of land. It was like a little nook. <laughs> a little nook. I did that and got our photo. And then we had like an optional off-road track that was, let's say, five miles long. Hmm. And that, but that had a pretty good mix of terrain with rocks and sand and, and, you know, ruts and stuff. And at least could give you a taste of what that bike could do. And I always go back to, you can ride just about any motorcycle off-road. Right. And, you know, the Moto Guzzi is no different. But I I could see it with some knobbies being pretty good off-road. If you put a couple more inches of travel on that, I think it could, it could tear it up. It'd be just as comfortable off-road as any GS, you know, and I think you can make an argument between this and the F850 GS adventure 
I think you could make that argument. I think you could say like this is a good alternative. Really? What's the uh, what's the price on this with the bags on it? That's the thing. So the price with the bags, uh, da, 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 twelve. It's thirteen thousand. Twelve thousand nine 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 zero with the bags. With the bags. The, without the bags, it's twelve Gs. So what's what kind of electronics are we getting with this? You're getting traction control, corner ABS, uh, TFT dash. Oh wow. Because you're getting pretty good uh, features. It's not super robust, but it's there. Are the electronics sort of customizable? Like you can turn them on and no, off? No, everything's linked to the um, uh, the riding mode. Got it. So, so if you're in enduro mode, it's got a certain... Different, different map. Yeah, sport. different traction profile. Got it. Um, and there's no turning it on and off, period? You can turn the rear wheel ABS off in the enduro mode, I believe. Okay. Man, it's been so long with Shaheen. Uh, let me just double check that one. ABS can be turned off in any mode. Okay. The off road cool. mode gives you the option of disabling the rear wheel, as this should be. So they did a really good job on that. Yeah. Uh, the dash looks great. It's really easy to, to read. It. It looks just like the dash off the RSV4 because it is the dash Basically off the, the RSV4. One. That's cool. That's uh, a good some, dash. With some changes. Um, um, seat looks nice and flat on it. Seat's super comfortable. So it was interesting. Like they were talking about their their goals for this bike. One was price point, mm-hmm. and the other was having a really low seat height. And I think that's part of why there isn't as much clearance for the foot pegs and isn't as much. Uh, suspension travel be cool because they, they wanted like a to be low so version low. and a tall version. I well, don't think it would cost them any extra. They wanted a 32 inch seat height, and I think you know, I don't know why that's a thing for them. Well, I, I know why because they want more riders to be more able to get on yeah. it. But I, I do wish okay, so they've got the TT, they got the TT Adventure, and then I wish they had like a, a TT Pro, Pro, or, or that the distinguishing feet for the adventure was taller suspension yeah that's my only gripe about this bike really because i think the price point's awesome the motor is surprisingly good the chassis is really good it's a really fun bike to to ride if you're into that kind of heritage look i actually dig it the more i look at it the more i like it it, it really has that old school look but you can see just modern lines all over it yeah I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. Um, so I'm I'm guessing that's a 19-inch front wheel and a 17 rear, sort of like my bike is set up. Um, but if you're saying it's 500 pounds wet, this bike's damn near 80 pounds lighter than my bike. Yeah, and that's and 500 pounds is pretty par for the course in that space. Yeah. Um, I mean, wet. We're talking all the fluids and the fuel, right? Yeah. I mean, the I'm mean, just putting a comparison. 500 pounds, 505 for the Guzzi. 504 for the BMW, the F850 GS, 448 for the KTM 70 790 Adventure. So that's the lightest one. That is super light. A Ducati Desert Sled still 461. Yeah, and that's you know that I threw that in there just to kind of like well, bracket that's a bare, it. That's a bare minimum's naked bike compared to this. Yeah. Thing. So it's it's some interesting. It's you know they've done a really interesting thing there. What's I mean, thirty-two inch seat height is very, very intriguing, and I could see a lot of people being drawn to that because when people walk up to my bike, the first thing that they say is, "Wow, that's big! Wow, that seat looks really high up!" And it's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm six foot one, and I have a thirty-three inch inseam, and I can I can flat foot it, but like just now, 
I don't necessarily believe that you have to flat foot a motorcycle to be able to ride it, but I've been riding long enough where that's not a thing. But for a lot of newbies, and I can see a lot of sort of like intermediate level riders being drawn to this bike, especially for its price point and its power and its and its looks and heritage, they're going to want something that they flat foot on. So I could see where that can be a a selling point for them. I'm actually excited to see this bike in person in Austin to kind of check it out. I've been really intrigued by it. Yeah, it's... um. It's an impressive motorcycle. I, I, I mean, I've been definitely intrigued by this bike since they first started teasing it. Yeah. Kind of curious to see where they would go with it. And I think, truthfully, I think they, they hit the nail on the head. Um, I think it still falls into that criticism of, like, it's an adventure bike that you're not going to take off-road. Yeah. And I think to some extent, Gootsy's like, well, yeah, but you're not taking really any of these bikes off-road. Um, and they've made, like, a really good street bike out of it. And you put some knobbies on it, you can probably do some shredding. Uh, the price point's killer. The feature it's list super is killer. killer. It's it's hard not to to like this bike. This is cheaper than that Husky you were riding. Well, no, it's the same price, actually, as the Husky you were riding. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lot more to offer. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? It's super interesting. Fascinating, some would say. Mm-hmm. So that's... And... I like the styling. The styling kind of grows on you. Yeah, the more I look at it, the more I like it, the more handsome this thing becomes to me. And it, and like it's like a weird tactile thing, but like the, the way the subframe is that trellis bar and like the the kind of mounting structure yeah. for the headlight assembly, it makes it for like a really interesting like like it's a bike you like to grab. Yeah, like it's it looks like a bike I want to like strap like my camping equipment to the back of it. It just looks like it's got all kinds of cool mounting points on there. I'm impressed with its dual disc setup up front. It looks like Brembo's on it too, even. The brakes were the brakes were really good. Uh you impressive. get a little bit of dive because the suspension set up a little soft, but the yeah. brakes had really good uh feel to them and good braking power. The suspension's pretty good. Uh didn't really want for too much in the suspension department. That's I, the thing, like overall like, there's But not- even for its price point, if you wanted to, it's the kind of bike that you're not paying so much money that where you would feel sheepish about Taking it somewhere and having somebody tune the suspension for you or rebuild it for you. Yeah, I mean it's easy to get to. There's there's a performance kit available in the in the parts catalog that puts Olin's on it. Nice uh, front and back. Um, I, you know, we were talking. Gutsy only sells like nine thousand units a year. I'd get this thing, put some WP suspension on it, lift it up a couple of inches, and have a nice day. They're gonna they're gonna sell quite a few of these. I think they're really. They're yeah, I'm hoping gonna, to see a lot of it. This is a perfect Pacific Northwest bike. I think. Yeah, it's goofy enough to that. It's super goofy. This will fit right in. <laughs> and and the the by the very nature, like the Gootsy motor has a lot of character. You know, you you when you're at a, a stop and you blip the throttle, there's a little bit there's of a, a rock. Little, there's a little bit of a little uh sh- what's the what's the word I'm gonna look for here? A little jive. A little, little shimmy. It gives you like a little a little head fake that because of the torque and then the the bouncing shaft kind and of comes that's come, called the Italian Shim Sham. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> like it has just enough little character there that kind of reminds you that this is still like an, an Italian motorcycle that, that has a little bit of character, a little bit of rough around the edges, but in a good way. It's interesting. It's a very interesting motorcycle. I'll be very curious to see how it does in the US. I don't think Gootsy really has the uh, dealership network to, for it to like make a dent. Like I could see if another brand brought this bike out like i think this would have been a good triumph in a way you know with a bet with a bigger network with a bigger dealership network that you know kind of has a similar 
foothold in the heritage space. Like this wouldn't look out of place in a Triumph lineup, other than like Triumph doesn't have a transverse engine like this, transversely mounted engine like this. I'm I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I I get what you're saying and I agree with you, but one of the things that's always drawn me to Moto Guzzi is that they're small enough where they're still super unique and special to me. It's like the way I used to look at Ducati 15, 20 years ago. You know, they're they're sort of small and and special in their own little way. Where to this day, when I still still when I see a Moto Guzzi, I still kind of get kind of giddy and want to go check it out because it's super unique. You don't see a whole lot of them, even in this weird little city that we live in, where you see all these kinds of weird stuff. But uh, I I really hope it's successful. I was about to say if like if Piaggio was to call me tomorrow and go, hey, we're gonna give you a test bike. Do you want a Tuono or this thing? I, I would be really hard pressed to pick one. I actually think I would rather have this one because it's that time of year where I want to go adventure. And I'd be curious to see how this thing behaves with me wanting to take it out camping. Yeah. Did it have cruise control or no? Uh, yeah. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. It has cruise how control. is it priced so low? I'm actually blown away by it. Uh, I mean, part of it is that engine's a platform. So that I know, but it's put together the, by hand by Giuseppe and and <laughs> and his family and the and the old antiquated nineteen you know forty five uh, warehouse. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, I don't I don't know how they're. I don't know. I'm, I'm so curious. Other how this than is. I think to a certain level, they can amortize the costs of developing it and the costs for like the tooling. Like they're going to make a boat ton of these eight fifty right. motors and they're going to put them in a bunch of different models. And well, so that, that factory sold. They've paid for that thing that over works. and over again by now. Yeah, that works out. <laughs> And yeah, I don't know. Quite truthfully, it's cool. That might be my favorite bike in the Gucci lineup right now. And it's, I mean, it's made in Italy. Like everything's yeah. made in Italy. That's one of the things like they're really proud of is like, you know, we're making Italian bikes in Italy still. Um, so super cool. I dig it. I'm glad you got to ride it. Did you get Me any too. gelato on that? No, I didn't get gelato. what are you doing, man? I mean, I'm always wondering if you're riding a motorcycle yeah. in Italy. I only had one gelato in all of my trip in Italy. This why this were you sick? Did you, have, did you have stomach poisoning? We're just really Wait, busy. Is that a thing, stomach poisoning? I mean, Sardinia is not food? really... Like, we didn't have any opportunity to get gelato in Sardinia. Um, Milan, I was too busy getting pizza. And well, at Flor- least you were getting pizza. It wasn't until Florence that I got gelato. I just imagine... I want to imagine you like, you know, at a cafe with this bike in front of you on the sidewalk having some gelato. Just bippity-boppity. Hey, boopity-beepity. Yeah. I'm actually trying to learn Italian. I started doing the Duolingo. Nice. Whew. We can practice. My wife's Italian. She should speak Italian? Uh, she understands it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't speak it very well, so I don't think she'd understand me. Me either. So you could just be like, boopity. She'd be like, Jensen, no. Swap. <laughs> team, hashtag team man. Hashtag team man. Um, what else to say? What else to say? Well, we're like two hours and like, I don't know, 10 minutes in-ish. Two hour, two you excited five, about maybe. this coming weekend? Yeah. We're going to be in Austin. We're going to be at GP. We're going to be doing all the things. I'll probably be editing this podcast on the flight there. <laughs> oh, thank. All right. So we're going to Austin. <laughs> oh, that's where we're that's going. Where we're, this, going. We're, going <laughs> we're going to Austin <laughs> to hopefully meet some nice people. Yeah. Um, so by the time you hear this podcast, we should be on the ground at Austin. In Austin. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to the hand-built show. Hopefully on Friday. Hopefully on Friday. Uh, and then, hi, Kat. And then we're going to go to the Saturday uh, qualifying be all day, all day Saturday, all, all day, day Saturday. Sunday. Last time I went to Coda last year, I walked an average of twelve miles a day. Yeah, I was, I was talking to them. They're like, "Oh, you're gonna be able to go to the gym." I was like, "No, I'm gonna walk like ten miles." Yeah, you're day. gonna, 
just like eat all the, the place food. Is huge for starters. Fucking massive. And if you want to go from the media center to the paddock to like the fan zone area, yeah. that's a hike. That that's at least a mile or two. I mean, like, there, no joke. At least there's like beer somewhere in the middle. I think and that's gonna do it's me a Texas. lot of good. There's always beer somewhere. What I'm looking forward to is seeing a lot of faces. Uh, a lot of our buddies from the industry that we don't get to see that often. Uh, throwing down some parties. I think uh, one of our buds is throwing a party in downtown Austin at some point, so I'm excited to see some people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a couple dinner things I got to go to. I got to work. Ooh, you get to party. I got to work. I'm going to party. I'm not working. I mean, I'm kind of working, but I'm not working. Um, and then Sunday race day. Uh, Who do you think is going to win? <sighs> Historically speaking, we know who's going to win. You think you think it's gonna be Marquez? I mean, dude, he owns that track. That's just called Coda Marquez Edition. La- last year he won by like, God, it felt like by an hour. Like he crossed the line, and then second place was just coming out of the last turn. Was it Davi in second? No, I don't think so. I don't think it was. I don't, remember, was I don't remember the result. Uh, 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 uh. Let's look it up. However, the weather. Have you checked the weather? There's there's a lot of rain in the forecast in Austin this weekend. Really? Yeah. Mm. Bring your raincoat. So I don't know if that's going to make a difference in how things are going to be. And where, they, and where there's that, there's always like thunder. The place yeah, just gets Texas, tons of lightning. Texas thunder is awesome. I love thunderstorms in Texas. Uh, what do we got? I don't, I don't see any rain. Really? Yeah, I what, checked it yesterday. What, what it was like ninety percent chance of rain. Looks like Saturday might get some rain. Oh, so it's just like last year. Last year it was the same thing. Saturday was rain. Sunday was perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, never mind. Yeah, you're crazy. You're talking crazy. I got no rain. I'm still bringing my raincoat. I'm clicking through it. There's no rain. I'm an Oregonian. I have a raincoat. I don't have any umbrellas. Yeah. Get your get your shit together. Um. Yeah, man. I'm excited for it. I'm super stoked. Um. Who do you think is gonna win? I mean, I know Marquez is gonna win. Come on. <sighs> I kind of want to root. I want. I want to see Davi do well. I want to see some. I'll, th- I'll throw this even out there, even a wider net. I want to see someone other than Marquez win. Like if Johan Zarco was oh, Vinales. Vinales is three and a half seconds back. Last year. Yeah. It literally it felt like an Enone hour. Enoni did quite well too. Enoni ran it out the podium. Huh. Yeah. Davi was fifth. Rossi was fourth. The Yamahas have come on stronger this year. I don't I still think I still think it's a Marquez race. It's his race to lose, isn't it? He's looking strong this year. His shoulder looks good. Uh he did well in Argentina. Oh my god, he did really well in Argentina. Yeah, he, he was really close in Qatar, which yeah. isn't necessarily a track that he goes well at. Uh, but he's he's just super confident in Texas. So I'm really curious to see how it goes. I, I would, I mean, I, I'm I'm a big fan of him, and I and I'm pretty sure he's gonna kill it. But I would love to see somebody else get it. Like that's just his track. It's yeah. just really funny to watch how at home he is. Uh, like when they go around the 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 Hayden curve. Yeah. Uh, we were watching it from that from that um, tower, and it was funny to look down and watch and see how upset the bikes would get going through that curve. I don't know if there's a divot there, like mid-turn, um, and it just didn't. He just sped up through it. It was amazing to watch him go through it, and then everybody else, including Rossi, kind of get like a little bit shaken up by it. Hmm. And like this guy during practice, he drops his bike what seems like a hundred times. But it's like he finds what the limit is, and then he remembers what the limit is, and he just goes ninety nine point nine percent. Well, Coda Kitty's done. Coda Kitty's done completely. Coda, who do you think is going to win? Don't care. Okay. She's like, why do you keep saying my name? 
because that's where we're going. Kota. That's right. You're named after a racetrack. And I think you're even scarier than that track. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you see us at Coda, be sure to stop by and say hi. I want to have stickers. I'm going to pick up some stickers she tomorrow for us. has got stickers. Yeah. Um, some Brap Talk stickers. You'll know him because he's the Shaw. I'm the Shaw. It's too bad we don't have Brap Talk shirts. Yeah, we can't get that squared. I mean, we're going to have them sooner than later, but we couldn't get them squared off that we quickly. We had them at least. People, um, then people would know. Yeah. Maybe I'll just put my Brap Talk sticker on something I'm wearing. Oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> It'll be my patch. Your patch. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you see us, say hi. We're fully interactive. Yeah. If we don't bite. it. Uh, I like high fives. Bring on a high five. Mm-hmm. Jensen loves hugs. Mm-mm, I do not just, like just hugs. Just tight, warm do hugs not. where you just nuzzle your nose into his neck. Please don't touch me. He loves that a lot. I don't like it. My wife hugs him so gently and dearly. Every well, time she's your like, wife. That's okay if your wife. <laughs> Hashtag T-Man. <laughs> Hashtag not T-Man. so great with strangers. Stranger hugs. He loves them, especially a little like reach around and maybe squeeze his butt. The hardest thing for me is like when you meet someone, like it's like the second or third time. And so like they're definitely like friends, but I'm not quite there yet. Right. And I'm like, like, I'm like oh, I think we're supposed to hug. I don't really like hugging. Uh, I think the first time I, I hugged do, you, which I, was literally the, the second hug? or third time I met you, the words out of your mouth were, oh, okay, All right, we're hugging. Oh, yeah. Well, this is happening. <laughs> uh, I'm committed now. You look like Dr. Evil coming at me like a robot. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What do I do? Do I put my arms on? I'm just going to pat you on the shoulders. Oh, you're squeezing me harder. Stop that's it. That's what I do. I do. I do the pat. I do the <laughs> do. pat. Like, that's my like, okay, we're good. I'm pat- I patted you so you know that now that we're good. Why are you squeezing still? Let I'm go. Done. I patted. Yeah. That's then, a tap out. Doesn't that mean let go? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Come on. Universal sign. So when you see us, high five me really well. Uh, if you want to give me a hug, that's cool. Definitely hug Jensen. Do not do that. Uh, you know, a good old butt smack as you're walking away and point at him like, hey. That's sexual harassment. Don't do that either. Harassment. All right, we better get to, out of this podcast. Hey, listen, on your flight out there, remember, safety third. <laughs> good talk. I'll see you out there. I hope we're gonna. I hope we get to see like Shalina. That'd be cool. Not going. She's not going. What the frick? She's too cool. She was there last year. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I hope we don't get to see her then. Dead to me. Dead to me. We'll see some peeps though. There's a lot of good people. We'll see. Yeah, like cooler people than Shalina, probably. Probably. Oh, yeah. not hard to find cooler people than Shalina. <laughs>